Welcome back. In line with the absolute absurdity of this whole case, today we really have an absolutely absurd situation. So, John, you guys, you have a purposely fake accuser. And this is someone who you've worked with, A.J. Dillon. Remind everyone who A.J. Dillon is and how A.J. Dillon brings this fabricated story to Andrew Shubin, and that turns into a three-year sting operation. Well, hopefully people who have been listening to the podcast all along remember that A.J. Dillon was interviewed by us previously because he attended the Sandusky trial, and he confronted Matt Sandusky after day one of the trial, and Matt Sandusky made it clear that he did not believe that his father was guilty or that any of these guys were telling the truth. And so A.J. was quite shocked when soon after that, Matt publicly becomes a victim. And and A.J., uh, who knew Jerry Sandusky since he was a kid, was a second-mile kid, and his family was close to the Sandusky family, uh, knew very, very strongly that Jerry Sandusky was, in fact, innocent. And uh, A.J. has been doing everything he possibly can over the last several years to try to get to the truth of this. In our last episode, we heard audio from Ira Lupert, the man who basically runs the Penn State Board of Trustees, who gave out the money for all the settlements, where A.J. is the one who does the interview with Ira Lupert, where uh, Ira makes several remarkable admissions, including the fact that uh, of the people he gave over $120 million to, some were not victims. That's a quote. Some were on the gravy train. Some exaggerated. Uh, and that audio comes from AJ. So AJ is a little bit like the Forrest Gump of this case, where he uh, comes, he keeps popping up in different ways, but he, he pops up in the most dramatic way because of the sting operation that you already alluded to that comes about under really bizarre circumstances, which we'll get into when we talk to him, but lasted for about three years and never was intended to get any money, uh, was never intended to do anything but to test the system, to get to the truth, and boy, did it ever. It, it, it came about on a whim and it has resulted in some of the most dramatic evidence that this entire process was inherently and fundamentally broken and not reliable. And so the story you're going to hear today is mind-blowing even by the standards of this crazy case and this remarkable podcast. And so I'm really looking forward to AJ finally, after all these years, for the first time, being able to tell his full story with the audio that he captured during the sting operation, audio of both Andrew Shubin, the key lawyer in the case, and Cynthia McNabb, the key therapist in the case, uh, who who uh, gave therapy to at least nine or ten Sandusky accusers, all of whom were represented by Andrew Shubin and his umbrella law firm, Ross Feller Casey, because this really drives a stake in the heart of the process that produced these accusers of Jerry Sandusky. And A.J. has done a remarkable job of proving it. He's been a real pain in the ass to deal with for the for all these years. And I'm sure he would say the same about me. Uh, yes. But but we're 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 in for a treat on this one today. So so let's talk to AJ. All right. Welcome back to AJ Dillon, who is our fake accuser. And hi, AJ. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing well. All right. So you've done a number of things. You've talked to a lot of people and you've also talked to Ira 
Lupert. And you got in to talk to Ira. You were talking about the wrestling program, of which he is a big supporter, built a big wrestling program. But somehow during that conversation, you got Ira to talk about Jerry Sandusky. What went on? Um, it started, like like you had said, to start about my grandfather and then move to Jerry Sandusky and Paterno because... Ira didn't know that I'm a former second mile, and when I did that interview, so I kind of just transitioned the conversation in that direction, because to me it was he was one of the biggest people involved in this uh, ordeal from the Penn State's perspective. So I, I was hoping he would give me his perspective, and he didn't disappoint me in delivering. That's for sure. Now, now. Uh, AJ, just to be clear, before we get to the substance, which we played these clips in the last episode of the podcast, I just want people to know what the situation was. He knew he was being recorded, correct? Correct. And this was for an interview about, again, about Penn State Wrestling, which he has been a huge part of that program uh, for a very long time, and and you have a family connection to that. I I am curious, if, if he knew he was being recorded, which I believe is the case because you've been trustworthy with me for for many many years that we've dealt with each other on this why is the audio is so terrible on that well i had i had it in my pocket uh when i when i went in there and then i asked him if i could record and he says yeah because i told him i have a tough time uh memorizing things because i do have a disability a learning disability so he was he was okay with it. I just left it in my pocket. Uh, had he not been okay, I would have just taken my phone out and off and uh, out of my pocket and not worried about it, anyways. All right. So so it was basically you just didn't want to take the phone out of your pocket. Yeah, I just didn't take the phone out of my pocket at that time. I, <laughs> Were you afraid? Kind of nervous. Yeah, you were nervous um, that he might say no if you set the phone on the table or something. Yeah, I mean, I was just nervous going in, so I think my mind just didn't think to take it out of my pocket. I was just, you know, he's, But you did I, ask him, you, know, you did say, I'm going to record you know, this. I didn't, going in, I knew I was talking to him about my grandfather, and so I just, you know, I just was more focused on remembering what I was going to talk to him about than taking it out of my pocket. But to be clear, he knew he was being recorded. Yes, he knew. Okay. All right. Now, before we get to your remarkable uh, saga as a, a purposely fake accuser in this case, which Ira did not know that, correct? You, he did not know that you had been a fake accuser of Jerry Sandusky, right? No. He did, he, I never told him I was a purposely fake accuser, and I didn't tell him I'm a former second mile. Okay. When, when we played these clips in the last episode, as I referenced, he says a couple of really remarkable things— his the two basic points were that he he refers to Joe Paterno and Graham Spanier and Curley and Schultz as as great men who just made an error in judgment. Uh, what was your sense of 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 him saying that, and whether that that makes any sense in your knowledge of the narrative? Because you know, if you believe what Ira Lupert believes that this was you know a forty year. Uh, pedophilia situation involving Jerry Sandusky, then my gosh, you know, all those four guys had to know something. Did that, did that strike you as odd that he was so, um, so much praising of guys who he had fired 
and who who had to have been part of what would be some semblance of a cover-up, at least according to the Free Report. What did you make of that? Well, I made of it exactly kind of what he said. He said, you know, when I started talking to him about the, the case and transition, that conversation, he's like, there was no cover-up. And I was like, well, I don't believe in a cover-up or a conspiracy. And so my take on what he said is, is this. He did not look at this as somebody who most of the media has portrayed as would have been an individual to help cover it up. He looked at it as a business thing because he goes, you can't cost a company or, or in this case, the university, $200 million and retain your position. And so he was looking at it from a business standpoint and what was in the best interest of the university at the time. And I think the biggest realization I had, and it, it hurt to realize because it's not something you wanted to acknowledge, is that he was right to fire those guys under the way in which his mind and his mentality towards the situation was. Um, and when you give into account all the events that were going on then, not what we know today. You're talking about it from a purely business standpoint, not from a Correct. moral standpoint. But but I, to me, the most frustrating aspect uh, of Ira's view of the other four as they relate to Sandusky is that he cannot wrap his mind around the idea that there was a domino effect of injustice here. He thinks, my gosh, how could all five effectively either plead guilty or be found guilty? There's just no way that's possible. Uh, when when it's obvious that these were all connected to each other because of the perfect storm and the panic that occurs in November 2011, what what, what did, did you have the same confusion I did in in, in uh, his unwillingness to see that? Yeah, I I even tried to um, explain just that the domino effect to him, but he wasn't he wasn't grasping that you know with so many accusers and so many people that. Uh, alleged these actions against Jerry Sandusky that he was, you know, that they all could be lying, and he couldn't grasp the domino effect even when I tried my best to explain it. No, I don't um, believe that he couldn't grasp it. He just might not have been admitting it. I mean, by by what you just said, this is kind of complicated maybe, but, but it was a business transaction for him as part of the university to keep this to a minimum, but it's a business transaction for everybody else too in this, except right. for Jerry Sandusky, mm-hmm. right? You're right. Well, okay. Yeah, because that's. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, and, and well, it's an important point because it's there's two very different theories of how this all transpired, and Ira has taken a theory that to me is inherently contradictory and and and, and hypocritical to his belief. By the way, that you know these are four great men who just made an error in judgment. The, the, the narrative that he has created in his mind doesn't make any sense. But the, the, the eureka moment of your interview with Ira is where you get him, again, unfortunately with very bad audio, but it is clear what he said. When you get him to say, with regard to those who he gave money to, quote, they're not all victims. Some were on the gravy train. That blew my mind. Some exaggerated yeah. their stories. What was your reaction in the room when he says that? Well... <laughs> It, it's interesting because, of course, this interview takes place long after I have this this conversation with with Shubin. But Shubin says himself in one of the audios, he goes, 
some of these claims were past the statute of limitations, like Matt Sandusky, but Penn State paid them early anyways because it would have been more costly to fight them in court, even though legally Penn State could have told Matt Sandusky to, pardon my French, but go fuck themselves. And that's Shubin's words, essentially. But and so I think that's exactly what Ira did. He he he, and that's what he said too. He said that you know to fight these to litigate these in court would have cost us more money than just just to settle them. So yeah, there were people on the gravy train. That's just so so. so that's terrible, isn't it? But isn't that the way of corporations and business? Yeah, but but Liz, what I don't yeah. get is he's willing to admit in an interview. Now, he may not have thought it was going to be publicly disseminated, and he was right because the media censorship of this issue is is universal and that no one wants to touch it. But he's willing to admit mm-hmm. in an interview that he gave money to people who were not accusers, yet he can't wrap his mind around the idea that if some, and maybe a lot, of those who came to him with stories were lying, that they could all be lying. I mean, if one is willing to do it for money, why can't they all? Well, uh, I don't know that he couldn't. We don't know because we're not questioning him, but look, there were there were guilty verdicts, and that's mm-hmm. all he has to go off of. Right. There were guilty verdicts. Right. And so now he's got to mitigate is what we've heard now. Right. Right? I, okay, that's all, that's all fair, and that's clearly coloring his perception, and he's also very, very invested in not being wrong here because he's— Part of why is a huge part of why Joe Paterno got fired, Grant Spanier got fired. Uh, you know, he paid out all this money. He's deeply invested in this not being bullshit, and so his mind is going to be very hesitant to go there. Although I will say, AJ, he at least seemed somewhat open-minded, right, to to the idea yeah. that Jerry could be innocent, which again is unfathomable to me my mind. because. Because he's the guy privy to more information than anyone else on the planet, yet he still thinks it's at least possible. Although, I have to say, AJ, you didn't do a great job of trying to make the, the argument. I In listening to the audio, I was ripping my hair out. Of course, I've been ripping my hair out with my interaction with you for about eight years. Uh, and uh, But uh, you know, why were you so soft on him? Why, 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 why did you not push back harder against him when he, he made the argument that Jerry must be guilty? Uh, I'm probably wrong for this, but respect. Um, You're not wrong. It's very difficult to do with a person in that type of position, AJ, just to be fair to you. Okay, that's fair. I mean, John is a dog, man. He'll go at it, right? (laughs) But there are journalists making a lot more money than John and I sitting here right now who cannot handle this situation. And you are not, um, you're you're doing this out of uh, your own drive and desire. And you're not trained to do this so to be fair and this right. is a good question john why didn't you it seems easy you're sitting in the face of somebody going why didn't you john i, I haven't been able to do it at liz times. i get it and it's a, i'm glad you made that point and and aj i i totally uh understand the intimidation factor but i guess here's and this leads us to to the fake accuser story i guess my frustration with you aj is that sometimes you're james bond and sometimes you're <laughs> barney fife no, i mean I, <laughs> That's okay. probably correct. <laughs> so, 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 right. so you agree. You agree at times you're James Bond and sometimes you're Barney Fife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just just keep the James Bond parts. I, I like that part right, so in let's, mind. So let's talk so let's talk about the James Bond part. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to 2014. 
And this is after uh, Dottie Sandusky and me have gone on the Today Show uh, in an interview with Matt Lauer and did a CNN interview. But it's clear we're not getting anywhere. And it's clear right. that, that Jerry's uh, uh, you know, attempts at a new trial are not getting anywhere. And the settlements are uh, being paid out. And you and I are now convinced of Jerry's innocence. We talked previously to you about why you were convinced of it, and you actually attended the trial, and you were a second-mile kid. But you uh, say to me uh, via Facebook, this is one of the more remarkable elements of this whole story. Uh, It was a Sunday night. I remember it because I had a golf tournament the next morning on a Monday. And uh, you you say to me, um, you were going to go see Andrew Shubin, the main lawyer in this case, who we both suspected was up to no good because we knew he had, he had represented nine, at least nine accusers and some of the key accusers and that their stories clearly were not uh, true. And you were going to go confront Andrew Shubin. Do you remember that? I do. Okay. And, uh, and I told you via Facebook messaging that this was a waste of time for you to go confront Andrew Shubin. He's not going to do any, you know, what's he going to say? Oh, I, I, I got these guys to lie. That's never not going to happen. Um, so um, I suggested, <laughs> with absolutely zero uh, thought that this was actually going to happen, why don't you go tell them you were abused by Jerry Sandusky and see what happens? You remember that? I do. I was like, it's a great idea. <laughs> okay. So to be clear, we never had a conversation about this, right? No. I mean, at this point, we never had a phone conversation. This was a, a Facebook direct message. It was like Correct. a couple sentences long. And uh, and I'm thinking nothing of this, Liz. I mean, I'm thinking mm-hmm. nothing of this. The, the the next morning I wake up and I'm on the West Coast. AJ's on the East Coast. And, uh, and I check Facebook and I have a message from AJ. It has it been done. It has been done. I love that you did it. I love it. No, but, but, but well, hold on a second. The, I love I, it. I get the message. It has been done. And you're going, what? What's been done? What the hell has been <laughs> done? John, what's been done? I have no idea. What the hell is this guy talking about? Because at this point, AJ, we don't know each other that well. We met once or twice at events for Paterno. Uh, you know, had had some interaction. I knew that you were a, a big Paterno supporter, uh, but I, I, I had no idea the level to which you were willing to go. Uh, to to try to to prove this case, and so I didn't understand what had transpired. Well, what I what so what did transpire, AJ? What what, what when you say it has been done? What did you mean? My first uh, interview or first meeting with Andrew Shubin had been done, um, and I went there, and that's pretty much when I concocted the, the most. Oh, I'm surprised he believed me. I thought he was going to throw me out of the office. But he bought it hook, line, and sinker, and then you he say? Just switched my story because I feel I I feel like it didn't include Paterno at first, and it also didn't include on Penn State's campus. Okay, so you're, you're getting no AJ, 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 AJ. You're getting ahead of yourself. Okay, let, let's let's okay. T- let's tell the story one piece at a time. Okay, so to to be clear, I had absolutely not, and I'm not even doing this for legal reasons. This is because it's the truth, and I want to tell the story correctly. I had absolutely nothing to do with your fake story of being abused by Jerry Zandowski, correct? Correct. And and that was on purpose, because I wanted it to be as organic and as crazy as possible. And you did, right. and you did not disappoint. 
So, so, <laughs> so, so you go into Andrew Shubin's office without an appointment. You, you, and you tell him that you were abused by Jerry Sandusky. And what is the story that you tell him? Tell us the story. Oh, since I made it up on a whim, it was that I went, Jerry picked me up at my house. Well, not my house, but at the top of the hill at this church. He got me in his car, and he took me to Sunset Park, which is behind Joe Paterno's house. Um, And then he, Jerry took me out the car, led me into the trailway behind the Sunset Park. There's like a bike pathway slash walking pathway there and made me basically give him oral sex. Now, where did you come up with this story, AJ? Off the head. Like, literally, I'm, like, trying to remember what, like, some other people said, and then I just picked it up off literally on a whim, pretty much. And now, to be clear, your story is, so so people, I'm sure they don't understand the geography here, your story is basically... Jerry Sandusky abused me behind Joe Paterno's house. Correct. That that's that's your story. That was my original story, yeah. And and Andrew Schumann's reaction, you're thinking is get the fuck out of my office, you you scam artist, right? Right. And instead the reaction is what? Uh he just he just believed me and then told me to basically come back another time. Uh and then Wait I kept going back to him. So. Wait a minute. When you're sitting in his office and you're telling the story, are, you, are your palms sweating? Are, are you like nervous? Are you like f- feeling like he's going to figure out I'm a fraud? Yeah, I mean, I, I figured that that might be the response I get from him, which I probably would have preferred anyways, because then it would have saved me three more years of my life, and then all the time since. So, um, I, the truth is so uncomfortable that he would accept a story like this. Oh, it gets way yeah. it gets way worse, Liz. Way, way, way worse. All right, so we're we're just getting started. So you you already referenced AJ that he says come back uh, a second time, and to me this is the moment. This is the smoking gun. If there was if there was one smoking gun we have in this case, and I believe we have a thousand, but if if there was one that I, I if if seen in its proper context, I believe proves our entire case. It's about what we're going to talk about right now, all right? So okay. so you go in for a second meeting with Andrew Shubin, and, right. uh, and, and you record it. Now, I want to be clear, uh, just for, for legal reasons, you believe that Shubin had every reason to believe he was being recorded, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, he was recorded because I told him I wanted it for my reference and, you know, just to be able to remember what he said and keep it for a future claim. Okay, so so you end up recording this session as well as all your sessions with Shubin for three years after this, correct? Yes. As well right. as as well as the therapist that he sends you to at uh, Penn State's expense, which we'll get to shortly. But I want to really make sure we nail down what happens at this meeting. So he begins the meeting by reviewing your story that you told him. Correct. Correct. Except there's a problem. There's a big problem, right? Mm-hmm. What is that problem? problem is I didn't mention Penn State's campus where there'd be 
should say where the abuse took place, and I didn't put Jill Paterno's name in it. And I'm past the statute of limitations because at the time I was 31 or 32. Well, that's an important point, that you come to him at 31 years old, which is outside the statute of limitations. We'll get to that later, but that's not what I'm referencing. What I'm referencing here is Shubin proceeds to review your story, except it's not the story you told him, correct? That's correct. It's not even really anywhere close. (laughs) So, AJ, take us back to you sitting there. And Andrew Shubin is telling you a completely different story than the one that you had previously told him at your first meeting. What's going through your mind? I was, like, shocked and, like, just utterly baffled by how he changed my story. And, like, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was like, what, what the heck? Like, why do you do that? Did you sense immediately what was going on that you were supposed to approve of what he was doing? Yeah, I mean, like, it just felt like he wanted me to approve to that. Um, And that was my new story. And I was just like, wow, if he did this to me, how many other people did he do it to? I was just like, I I, I didn't know what to think of that at that moment other than, wow, I, I have to roll with this. You know, I have to go with this. Hey, hey, AJ. So while he's yeah. changing the story and you're kind of sitting there in the room, is he kind of looking at you and kind of going back and looking at you, or is he just on his keyboard? What was he doing? He he, he was looking at me, uh, kind of like straight straight looking at me. He was also on his keyboard, but uh, that, that that's what I was shocked about. Just like he, he was giving me this look, like I'm supposed to agree to this, and. And it wasn't even my original story, so I couldn't believe it. I was just, I was in utter like awe and shock. Did you, you you mentioned that you thought, oh my gosh, if he's doing this to me, who else did he did do this to? Did you sense, and I think this is where Liz was going, that he was looking for to kind of test you that this was all a wink, wink, nod, nod. You get where I'm going with this, right, AJ? Is that is that what what you sensed? Yeah, that's absolutely what, like, I sensed, and I I just, at that point, I, was, I felt kind of frozen, like, I, you know, like, you just, you're, you just freeze, because you're like, I guess I'm supposed to go with this, so I just went with it, um, in, in concerns to how he changed my story, and I couldn't believe, like, he did this, like, this literally put me in shock, because I was like, how many other victims did he do this with, you know, and if he did then this this case this entire thing is is fraud you know it's 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 a fraud well let you you let's take this out of the theoretical into the practical you attend mm-hmm. you attended many years later although it was still during the sting operation the but after this episode with Shubin that you just experienced you attended as did I the testimony of Alan Myers the boy in the shower that which was in public testimony and after we watched that, do you remember what the first thing you said to me was when we came when we came together after we watched Alan Myers' testimony? Do you remember what you said to me? I don't recall that you could remind me. Did you not tell me that was coached by Shubin? Yes, yes, I did tell you it was coached by Shubin because it was it, it seemed identical, and I remember it was coached by Shubin. Well, what? How yeah, did it seem thanks. identical? How, how did it seem? What made you? What cues in there made you say, say that? Um, just just his method, just like the 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 way 
things had transpired, and I just I just recognized it as the same as Shivan's, you know, certain words. way in which he changed my story. Were were there, Liz is asking a good question. Were there certain words or cues or or red flags in Alan Meyer's testimony that made you come to that conclusion? Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. He, um, sorry, he he just in the way like I felt like Alan Myers was coached because of the way in which his words like I didn't, I was sitting there at the PCRA, so I heard it, but like to to recall it at this point is. If word for word is is pretty tough task, but I did recognize it as Shubinin because Shubin and me um, talked to the way you know in the same manner, and 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 that's pretty much why I recognized it. His story is just pretty much. I remember at the PCRA vividly, he like said, "I can't recall," or or "I can't remember," like fifty two times or something, something like that. Like he just Alan Myers is is he's a liar. He, he's, he's clear lying. If he wasn't lying and was manipulated, he was a clear liar at the PCRA. I think, I think technically it was somewhere in the 30s where he said, uh, I, either I can't remember, I don't recall. Really? Uh, yeah, and it was... Yeah, it was 30s. It 30 was, times. It was 30s, you're right, over 30 yeah. times. Over 30 times. I can't remember. I don't recall. And and these were incredibly significant things. Like, I can't You're remember. not a defendant here. <laughs> right. You're a victim. Right. You, you remember right. it all, please, because no, that matters. But to, but to be clear, it wasn't about the abuse, which he never talked about in any detail whatsoever. It was like things like, for instance, where were you during Jerry Sandusky's trial? I don't remember. Oh, that's that shouldn't even be allowed. That shouldn't right. have been allowed. I mean, you don't remember where you are when the guy who abused you supposedly. You don't remember where you are when that right. trial's happening. You're, you're the guy who was your father figure for most of your life, who right. lived with biggest trial in, in modern Pennsylvania history, and, and you don't know where you are. You have no idea where you are during that. That trial. shouldn't have been allowed. That that should have just been okay. like what a joke. All right, but but so so that was a that was a big moment in this whole situation, was it not, AJ? When, when maybe the biggest moment for you was when right off the bat, uh, Shubin is molding, not just molding, he is dramatically changing your story to a specific end, correct? Correct. Let's remember that your story is, I got sexually abused by Jerry Sandusky in a park behind Joe Paterno's house. That was it. And That's it. Okay. And... Andrew Shubin, and, and you're going to hear in the audio, you're going to hear some keyboard clicking. So it sounds to me that Shubin is, is reading from a computer. Is that correct? He was. He was on the, actively on the computer at the time. So he's, so he's looking on his computer, and he's reviewing your story, at least as supposedly told to him, back to you. And my interpretation is he's getting you to sign off on this. Is that, is that a fair assessment? That's absolutely correct. I mean, just everything he said, that's that's pretty much what he was looking for. I mean, to sign off on it. Okay. So let's listen to the audio of Andrew Shubin telling you what your story is, but keep in mind that this isn't your story. And in fact, at one point, you'll hear him reference your story and say, we'll talk about that part later. Here's the audio. Alright, so last time we were here 
your medications. Um, I spoke with um, Cindy as well, um, provided her with an update. I do think it would be good for you to stay, go back to her. Um, she said she hadn't seen you since March. Um, 1994, you were 11 years old. Like the second mile on 94 95, remembers the pool, groping in the pool. First summer, after the first summer, um, Jerry would pick, would pick you up and bring you to the campus. Um, and you had workout showers, and was, you were sexually abused during that time period. Um, we didn't talk about the nature of abuse yet, but the second um, summer, he would pull you out of activities. Um, and you recall that in a locker room he grabbed your genitals and forced you to give him more sex, right? Okay. Um, there was also something that you had told me earlier about Sunset Park, but we'll, we'll get into that. Um, you recall reporting abuse to camp counselors, but they didn't believe you, and you reported to someone um, in, you know, in the administration on campus, in the athletic department. Um, it was after the second summer you believed that you went to the campus and reported the abuse. In the meeting, they told you that he would never have done that to you. Um, you recall getting the meeting by telling the secretary he had something important and wanted to speak to about someone privately. Um, you felt you weren't believed. They said they would investigate it and let them know they never got back to you. Um, you recall also reporting the abuse to to someone appear during some sort of a group therapy or placement, right? Yeah. You believe that you reported it to some psychologist, but you're not sure, and you might not have been specific. Right. Now, AJ, um, what is your reaction when you're hearing Andrew Shubin tell you a very intricate story involving you being abused multiple times on Penn State's campus, involving showers, telling people who were uh, working at Penn State that you were abused, them not believing you, and knowing that none of that not only didn't happen, but that you never even told him any of that. What, what's happening in your mind as Shubin is going through this laundry list? Shocked, and then I'm immediately like, wow, this entire thing is BS because I'm clearly, I clearly came as a fake accuser and now he's just switched my story. What makes me think that he didn't do this with any, everyone. And then I'm like, well, I have to go along with it because I got to find out and get more data on the process. So I just went along with it. That was quick thinking. Well, I mean, you never said to him, wait, that's not what I said. No, that's not really what, no, 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 that's not what I said. You ever do that? No, I just knew I had to continue with the process. If this was okay. how easy this was. But was there was there was he looking for acknowledgement from you, AJ, that you were cool with this? Um, maybe in body language, but yeah, I, I kind of felt like the pressure to agree with it. Yeah, like just in his body language. And and did you like? Did you give a nod or uh 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 huh huh or anything like that? I mean, was there an indication? that you gave, you clearly didn't push back. You didn't say, wait a minute, that's not what I told you. Uh, right. So so did he get the message that, okay, I got it, wink, wink, nod, nod, I see where we're going with this? 
yeah, he clearly got the message when I said uh, I, I either nodded or I, I did probably go, uh-huh, do it. Um, yeah, we heard you. But I, I didn't really, like, you know, I just knew right then and there, like, okay, this is P.S., but I have to go through the process anyway. And And just to be very, very clear on this, none of that, none of what he described there is anything close to what you told him, correct? That is correct. None of it. It's all added material that he he clearly added to my story and changed it. So um, there's nothing in there that I originally said, except for one thing. When he goes, the sh- you talked about the sunset park. Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll get to that later. Park. Yes, that. We'll get to that yeah. later. Did he ever get to that later? By the way. No. No. He wasn't. My, that that was the story he was going to roll with. He was not interested in that story, and and no. and the, the the most logical explanation for that is that story is really not valuable to him because that's not on Penn State's campus, correct? Correct. So Penn State doesn't have any knowledge of that. It's not on their campus. That's not worth any money to him, right? Right. That is absolutely correct. Yes. Okay. So at this point, you realize, oh my gosh. Not only are they going to believe me, but they're going to manipulate my story in a way that has nothing to do with the truth, that is purely designed to potentially make a claim against Penn State, right? Right. Now, you've already mentioned that you're outside the statute of limitations. We're going to get to that later as to how that uh, ends up uh, impacting your your situation with Shubin. But this facilitates a three-year-plus for lack of a better term, sting operation that you engage in where most of your interactions are with with Shubin's therapist, who I believe he references there uh, in that audio we just heard, Cynthia McNabb, correct? Correct. And so over this three-year-plus period, how many times would you say you met with Shubin? Oh, without verifying and off the head, probably at least 12 at least 12. And you believe, and although I, I find this hard to believe because I was interacting with you far too much during this time period, uh, but you believe that you met with Cynthia McNabb, his go-to therapist, about 100 times. Is that is that true? That's absolutely correct. It was about 100 times. So 100 times? Then, you went along with yeah. this and went to a therapist 100 times? Yeah. Every Wednesday for three years, weekly. To talk about abuse that did not happen. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about that. Well, we have some audio of that. But let's. But here's what we're going to do to try to make this as simplified as possible. So during this three-year sting operation, where no one ever called you out as a fake, as being a not legitimate accuser, correct? Correct. Okay. And, and no one ever even has any real strong suspicions that you're, you're not a true accuser. Is that fair? That's fair. Even though, and we're going to hear some of this in the audio, there are times when Shubin himself should have gone, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what the hell's going on here? Because uh, there were times when, you know, and again, this is the, the James Bond, Barney Fife uh, d- uh, disparity. There were times that you didn't, you know, and I'm not blaming you for AJ, this uh, AJ, but there were a few moments when he could have figured this out pretty easily, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's times I messed up even right. with 
how I transitioned or, or my delivery of what, whether it was my questions or I messed up terribly on, on probably on multiple occasions in concerns to draw suspicion. But Yes, you did. Yeah, and we're going to get... Yeah, I'd like to hear that, because you could assume that Shubin's going, well, this is all repressed memory, so, you know, it'll come out later. Well, there's one particular moment, which we're going to get to momentarily, uh, where um, I I got uh, Jerry Sandusky to write a letter to AJ Mm -hmm. from prison (laughs) to give him more credibility uh, to Shubin, because I'm I'm actually thinking... Jerry's in on this, too? Joe Jerry was in on it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I kept Jerry as in the dark as I could, but he, I think he knew uh, basically what was happening. So I got Jerry in prison to send AJ a letter, and I, you know, I, we'll get to it shortly. Um, actually, you know what? Let, let's let's. This is this is our clip number three. Can we? Uh, let's do it now since we since we mentioned it. I mean, this this to me is uh, a moment where where you really screw up, AJ. Uh, out of panic, because uh, I, I get Jerry to write this letter from prison. It's clearly, the way it's written, from prison, and Shubin is figuring out that it's from prison because Jerry's talking about how his life is now confined. <laughs> and right. and AJ is trying to pretend he doesn't know when the letter was sent to him <laughs> because he's panicked. I'm getting, right, you're panicked? Is that fair? That- I, I panicked because it dawned on me, oh, man, I totally screwed up. He's going to figure this out right now. Right. And he didn't. He just went with it. And he just, I don't know how his brain didn't go, oh, he's bullshitting. All right, let's hear this. Okay, so this is the audio of, of Shubin is handed the letter that Jerry Sandusky has written clearly from prison. And AJ is panicked and doesn't know how to handle it so he pretends he doesn't remember when Jerry Sadowski sent him a letter from prison after having been convicted of being a child molester and here's what the audio sounded like um, I think the letter says I hope this when did you get this again do you remember I don't recall exactly this finds you well as my life has been confined um, I think that's what it says, don't you? That's his confirmed. Yeah, maybe. So is he in jail? No, I don't think so. We I have to do it. Do you remember him being in jail? Do you remember when he got this letter? No. Oh, you didn't know he got it? No. Where was it sent? Huh? Where was the letter sent? I don't remember. I have to check the, check the... Information. I don't you know. Maybe you have the envelope? I believe so. You, yeah, no. I uh, might have thrown it away. I don't know. If you have it, don't, don't throw what it I mean. away. Right. I, um, I think it says, I cherish memories of you and other second mile young people more than ever. Please know I am glad of my involvement with you. I'm proud of the person you've become. You're a special part of my life and my own name. Uh, thanks for the memories with love and friendship, um, So, as my life has been confined, so, you know, right. And I've gotten some letters from Jerry since he's back in jail. Right. So you recognize that's his handwriting. Right. Yeah. When I looked at other letters that he sent to other people, I'm positive it's his handwriting. Yeah. I mean, it's- 
All right, now, AJ, the letter is clearly having the impact that I had hoped that it would have because Shubin is intrigued and it's giving you credibility, but you're trying to claim to him you don't know when this was sent and you don't have the envelope, you think you threw it out, uh, and yet he's not, you can tell there's a little bit of suspicion, right? He's having some suspicion, but he's not willing to call bullshit on this. Is that fair? That's. That's absolutely fair. It's pretty much how that how that transitioned and transpired. And uh, so that doesn't change his view of you at all. He he never makes that leap to wait a minute. I'm being had here. No, no. And and he, he never made that leap. Okay. And and to be clear, you just panicked. Is that what happened? Yeah, I panicked because it dawned on me. I was like, wait a minute. If he's already if he if his brain's registering, wait a minute, this letter's saying he's defined, I'm screwed because he's gonna call bullshit on this letter and he never did. No, but, no, he in fact he said I've seen other letters like this. Right. But yeah. But AJ yeah. We, but AJ, we had gone through this. We had, this is what's so frustrating about you. We had gone through this. I had gone through enormous lengths to get this letter from Jerry Sandusky from prison, and we talked about uh, how this was going to go down, and then you just completely forgot about it and and totally panicked. Uh, and again, I, I did. Okay. I did. But wait All a minute. I, what, what, I did, was... what did you think was going to go down? I, we had already talked about how we were going to admit that this was something that oh. happened from prison, that this was purely just a way to establish the relationship. Unlike, you know, Ryan Rittmeyer, number, in victim number 10, who never even met Jerry Sandusky until trial, that here we have proof of contact. We had already... He had, he, Look, he really knows me. He right. sent me this letter from right. prison. Right. Look, I, th- I'm, this is real. And that I, kind of thing, because that wasn't clear to and me. I, I, spe- spe- I specifically I asked Jerry to end the letter with a, some uh, semblance of a uh, using the word love. I wanted him to say, remember he said to, to Alan Myers on the phone, love ya, and you know there are all these supposed love letters that he had sent to victim number four, which weren't really love letters. And so Jerry actually did a pretty decent job of doing what I wanted him to, considering we never even had a phone conversation about it. This was all via uh, emails and letters. And, you know, and here AJ is where I've had phone conversations with him. And AJ, AJ butchers the whole fucking thing. I don't know if he did, John. I, you, you, I think it proves how ludicrous it all oh, is. In a weird way, you're right, It worked. Yeah. In a, you're, she's right. You know, you're, Thank you, AJ. You're, no, you're right. In, yeah. in, in a weird way, it worked out. But it, it might have blown up in our faces. because have. because It I, might have if Shubin was, you know, legit in the situation. It might have. Exactly. Okay. It wasn't. Fair enough. Okay, so, so as you can tell, AJ and I have had a very contentious relationship for the last eight years. <laughs> AJ, you've done amazing work, uh, okay. to be honest. Okay, well, we're still... Thank you. Okay, mm-hmm. well, there's a lot more to get to. Okay, so... <laughs> so all right, let, let, so let's so, so let's let's go through some of the things that AJ learned uh, in his conversations with AJ uh, with Aaron uh, with Andrew Shubin uh, over this three year sting operation. One of the things that I found really interesting, AJ, is I'm always curious, kind of like with Ira Lupert, what do these people who say they believe Jerry Sandusky uh, is is guilty? What is really in their thinking? What is what are they basing it on? And we have a couple of clips that relate to this subject. And this one is, I believe, the longest clip we have. It's, it's several minutes long. And, and this 
deals with several key elements of the story that we've already discussed and it basically gives the background Shubin is giving aj his background on his connection to ross feller casey the philadelphia law firm with the brother of the u.s senator from pennsylvania is is casey the name of ross feller casey and how that's important also i want you to Can listen I point something out in regards to matt casey sure he is a prominent injury lawyer, but I looked him up, and he has a few of the victims under his his care as well. So when you count Shubin's victims, also count Ross Feller Casey or Matt Casey to be specific uh, about that case, um, those cases as well. So he makes millions off of doing handling this type of work. Oh, no. Ross, the Ross Feller Casey law firm has made a, a boatload of money, but I have I have previous Correct. I have previously referred to Shubin as kind of like a bird dog scout for a larger law firm that will come in and get the money and and that's almost word for word what we're about to hear Shubin say. Shubin admits to you that yep. that, that Ross Feller Casey is really only involved here to get the money. That's what they're there for. They, Ross Feller Casey, the, I'll guarantee you, they never had an actual direct conversation with any of these accusers. They're just there as as the the guys with the big reputations and the connections, and they're in Philadelphia and they're having lunch with everybody, and they're friends with Ira Lupert and their brother, you know, Bob. Bob Casey is Matt Casey's brother. He's the U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania. Schumann is about to admit to all of that. But then even more interestingly, Liz, he references his battle with prosecutors. That prosecutors <laughs> had a problem with Andrew Schumann throughout this process. And, and, and this is you actually do a really good job here, AJ. This is, this is one of your more James Bondy moments where you elicit that, wait a minute, it was it was the uh, the police coming to the accusers, not the other way around, and that this creates a dynamic where eventually the prosecution is very concerned about Shubin's involvement because they are worried it's going to destroy their star witness's credibility, and so this is all uh, all of this is encompassed in this rather long clip. Uh, that was done during this uh, sting operation where Andrew Shubin is basically spilling the beans about what was going on behind the scenes, which really is important context for this whole story. And so for you, um, you know, your uh, situation is one that you know, a lot of the other cases I had corroboration, like I had, you know, I had the state police calling these kids and saying, you know, we believe you were a victim. And I don't know exactly what the state police knew, but what the state police told those folks was so that they So had, they didn't come to, they didn't come to the police, is what you're saying? No. The police went towards them. The police went, most of the people I represent wanted nothing to do with this. The police found them um, and questioned them. Okay. And that's when they contacted you know, me, or sometime after that, so... And that's, the, the, how did they get your name? Well, I mean, they got my name because I was from from people they knew, from a psychotherapist, or from the fact that they knew I was involved in this, I've been, you know, I'm involved in it, and, uh, you know, I've been, I'm sort of a guy on the ground here that's been involved in this, in this situation from the very beginning. Okay. So... 
Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, people get, get to attorneys in different ways. Right. Yeah. Um, was... Like, of all the attorneys, I'm the guy that's here. Yeah. You know, like, in my, you know, new, I think I know more about the, about what happened than any other. The other, a lot of the other attorneys are from out of town. They're like, you know, catastrophic injury lawyers, you know, like, you know, from out of town who, you know, came in for the big cases and are gone. Um, no, those attorneys, you said you you work with the other... So I have, um, so, right, so I'm, I paired up with Ross Fenner Casey, which is a Philadelphia catastrophic injury firm. Okay. And, you know, they are better at finding the money, they're better at negotiating, they work big cases all the time. And so I felt like my clients were best served by having that kind of that kind of expertise okay. know, in terms of the money. Um, so you contacted them or they contacted you? We've worked together on other cases. Ah, so is this like a yeah, business relationship and com hey. Comfortable. I reached out to them. But also that firm, one of the partners in that firm is a guy named Matt Casey and Matt Casey's brother is, um, is, is the senator from Pennsylvania and I felt like having a political connection was very important because it's it's it gets to be a very long story, but because I thought the attorney general's office was throwing these cases, was fucking them up um, royally, um, and wasn't helping these victims, was hurting them, and so. How do you feel like they were? They were messing them up. So they to speak. were telling them that you know to to they were basically discouraging them from pursuing any civil cases because they were afraid of you know that if they testified in the Sandusky case that they wouldn't be believed because they had civil lawyers. So they would think, ah, you're only doing this for money. You know, you're not doing it because it's the truth. So they didn't want anything, they didn't want these kids, these people to have anything to do with attorneys that were protecting them, right? Because it wasn't, didn't help their, you know, did. But if they were criminal attorneys, why would they, why they were, would they no, think it that? A, it was a prosecutor. Right. Okay. The prosecutor. But why would the they, prosecutor want to sacrifice their case? They didn't. The prosecutor felt like having civil attorneys. Okay. You know, but plus I was like fighting with the prosecutors every day of the week because I didn't like the way they were treating, you know, these victims. Because victims, and you know this, they come forward and they talk. They say, "Here's what you know." They say nothing happened. Right. It's typical. Nothing happened to me. Jerry was a father figure to me. Right, um, and then you know they later say they go before a grand jury and they say, well, you know something happened, but you know it's only this, and I don't remember, you know. And then when they get to the right people, like psychologists, therapists, you know, the right attorneys, and you know they understand that they need to get it all out on the table, otherwise. You know, that's their only chance. Um, and then they get the support because they're talking to someone who understands and or they go to a psychologist or a therapist, um, then they remember a whole lot more, right? right? And that's the truth. But the prosecutor only wants them to say what they said before the grand jury, right? The year before. They don't want to know from what the truth is because it contradicts what they already said under oath. So the prosecutors 
were, you know, were trying to shove, you know, trying to keep these young men from talking about everything that happened to them. Because they only wanted them to say what happened, what they had already said before the grand jury. Because the defense attorney would say, well, you know, you, so you went to a grand jury, you were under oath, and you said only A and B happened to you. Now you have a civil lawyer, and you went to see a shrink, and blah, 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 blah. Now you're saying, you know, C, D, E, and F, and G happened to you. Right? Yeah. So it's a credibility thing. So, you know, we represent and I represent these young men and their interests. Right? Mm -hmm. they, the Commonwealth just, the prosecutors just saw, saw them as a tool to get a jury. They didn't, you know, they didn't care what happened to them afterward. So is it so, reasonable to believe that some, some of them probably coached them in some fashion? What do you mean? Well, don't, don't prosecutors and defense lawyers, like, don't they well, coach I'm, I'm on this thing? I wasn't a defense lawyer, so like, I had nothing, okay. right, so I'm, I'm their civil, well, you're civil. I'm their civil lawyer, right, right, so I didn't have any, like, I just gave advice to these folks right. to tell the truth, to make sure that they understood what the truth was, and to don't, you know, and don't back down just because it's inconvenient for a prosecutor. Right. You know, you're, you, you know, you, you need to tell the truth. And like I, you know, to be honest with you, I knew that Sandusky wasn't just, you know, taking a kid to a football game and putting his, you know, hand on his knee. That that like that wasn't the end of the analysis. That people were spending a lot of time with him. I knew, you know, like I just knew that Sandusky was perpetrating abuse on them. Otherwise, he wouldn't be spending time with them. And so, to the extent someone would minimize it, I understood that that's part of the process. So. And I mean, outside of him, like, does that mean like anyone, parent, guardian, or anyone shouldn't put their like hand on your knee and say like good job no, or whatever you, you no, see what i'm saying no no like, no no if you told me i put my you know if I, if I, I, you, you said you said to me that you know there's a guy who put my hand on my knee or put his arm around me you know you know so it was my uncle i wouldn't necessarily i wouldn't go to a place of abuse but then if you said here's a guy who's been accused of abusing, you know, 37 people, right? And they all tell the same stories. They don't even know each other. Um, and, you know, and this one kid says only one thing, you know, nothing happened to him, and Jerry took him to bowl games, and this, that, and the other. Would I be skeptical? I'll be skeptical, right. you know? I, you know, I don't, Jerry, you know, in my mind, the victims were telling the truth, not him. Right. So, Liz, there's a ton to unpack there. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the more interesting aspects is his battle with the prosecutors. This is a guy who clearly has disdain for the prosecutors. And it's obvious that the prosecutors had disdain for Andrew Shubin. And if you remember, because this is a small detail I know that we've mentioned previously, but, you know, victim number two, Alan Myers, was his client who did not testify at trial, there's a document where investigators specifically say that they don't believe Alan Meyer's statement of being a victim because they think it was written by Andrew Shubin. I mean, so, so there's a, an inherent distrust here. There's a battle between the prosecution 
he, you know, Schumann claims that the, they're, they're just, he's just, they're just using the victims for their own purposes. To get to Jerry Sandusky. But right. something really important he said in there, off the top, or that clip in particular, at finding money, I wrote down the words that uh, um, Ross Casey, Feller. Ross, yeah, Ross, Ross. Feller, Casey, whatever. Uh, they, they are very good at finding money. There's the motivation. Not at helping you, at finding the truth, at getting Jerry Sandusky put away, getting you the things you, at finding money. Well, Right? I, so the prosecutors right. are getting in the way of finding money, is what I hear. Well, they have two very different motivations. Uh-huh. Now, now, you could argue in a, in a case that's based in truth, that you know that the prosecution is trying to do what's right, but what was really happening here was that the prosecution was terrified that this was going to be treated like a normal case, and that Schubin's influence was going to contaminate their star witnesses. Yes, a- and and he yeah. and he, you agree with that, AJ, right? Yeah, and and but there's no reason to believe it would have blown up at that point. You know what I mean? In the sense, so if it's treated like a normal case, yeah, that's a dangerous. That, that could damage their case. Right. But so this conflict between uh, the prosecution and, and Shubin goes very, very deep. But it also goes to, uh, you know, something we've t- discussed previously. Remember, he represented victim number three, Jason Simsesco. Jason Simsesco at trial says barely anything happened. But then when it goes to the settlements, he's being raped all over Penn State's campus. Right. And he gets paid a lot of money for that. And that goes to exactly what he's, what Shubin is talking there about when you, quote unquote, remember a whole lot more after having gone to, quote, the right people. Right. I wrote that. The right people. Right. My people. My right. people will help you out the way you need to be helped out. You have, you have to go to the right, the people, right people so that you remember everything that actually happened. Now, you had gone to that right person, Cynthia McNabb, correct, AJ? Correct. Right, and we're going to get to her uh, in, in short order. But so he he is, to me, I immediately thought, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what happened with Simsesco, uh, where all of a sudden, you know, where, where we don't have to worry about the prosecution anymore and Penn State's not fighting back, Simsesco can claim all sorts of crazy abuse and we're going to get paid lots of money for it. So it's obvious that Shubin wants the money. Ross Feller Casey is there to get the money. And and then he also, AJ, and this goes to this issue of what is Shubin's theory of what actually happened? He's very arrogant about his level of knowledge of this case, right? He thinks he's he's cracked it. Is that a fair assessment? Yes. And and he says in there towards the end, which I found appalling and you seem to immediately react in the same way I would have. He says, I just knew. He says, I just knew Jerry Sandusky was a child abuser because otherwise he wouldn't have been spending so much time with kids. That's almost a direct quote. I just knew. And you push back on that. You say, well, wait a minute. You know, is it inherently uh, signs that you're a pedophile if you put your hand on somebody's knee? Uh, and then he comes back and says, well, if it's an uncle or something, then then it's OK. I wouldn't go to the sexual place. And, and I keep thinking, and I'm wondering if you did, AJ, wait a minute, Jerry thinks of himself as these guys' dad, the, the, the dads Correct. of these guys, right? Mm-hmm. So what did he, you— He absolutely treated them like his kids. I mean, they were—they they, they were treated that way because he viewed them as his children. All right, well, 
and so w- what did you make of Shubin having that as the basis? I mean, here's a guy who's represented all these victims. He should have mountains of evidence that Jerry Zanuski is guilty, and he's basing it on, well, he just wouldn't have spent that much time with kids if he was not guilty. What did you make of that? I think, I think that's an absurd uh, statement because, man, we could lock up a lot of people if that's, if that's the basis of how you view what a pedophile is. Well, it's also very dangerous. And I, and, mm-hmm. and and this is one of the aspects of this case that has really stuck with me, uh, especially as the father of two young daughters. The idea that we're now getting frighteningly close to where people are afraid to display any semblance of affection towards kids because they might be perceived as a pedophile. You're getting close. That goes on all the time. Well, I'm, that's what yeah. I'm saying. I mean, we're, we're I mean, I, I've, the I've been. The assumption is made right away. I've been on situations in situations, Liz, because I have two young daughters, mm-hmm. uh, and be, you know, back when we were still allowed to go to playgrounds before uh, exactly. coronavirus, where, well. where, where, where I have this weird thing, uh, and my wife has noticed this, where little girls for some reason gravitate towards me on the playground. I don't know if it's because I have two young daughters or whatever, and I now feel like I have to like run away. I mean, I'll have I've had kids ask to swing me on the swings because no, they don't have a parent or guardian around. I can't do it. I I I can't even I can't even swing them on the swings. I mean, it's it's terrible. It's 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 hard. I mean, but that is the way the world is now. And so so that Uh that really bothered me. But I thought was enlightening to understanding Shubin's level of rationalization here. But the but the core of that uh, clip, AJ, to me, is him telling you the mechanisms of how this transpired and the key part of, well, look, we are anticipating that people are going to say at first nothing happened, but eventually the truth will come out when you see the right people, correct? Yeah, and and, and so you go through that process, which we'll get to uh, momentarily. But- you, know, you know what else in there, John, that that was interesting? Were you going to go into another thing in no. there? The, the, the Casey bit. Well, we wanted to, you know, yeah. I wanted to be with Casey. Well, what's Senator Casey going to do? What's the politics going to do with this? It's all perception. You're in the right club. The, the Ross Feller mm-hmm. Casey is is in the cool kids I, I club. I know exactly that, John. But it's just, doesn't that just feel like, oh, that's so slimy, right? You're going to get, oh, we, we chose the right law firm. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? But that is so key to understanding how this transpired. If you were in the club, if it. you were friends with Ira Lupert, if you were a respected law firm in Philadelphia, uh, then you were automatically presumed to have clients that were credible and they were telling the truth. Right, because the senators and, always tell the truth. Right. Well, <laughs> perception is everything. And Remember, per- politicians are the most honest Robert people on the planet. Robert ran for president, too. I mean, so he's pretty important. Right. Well, it's all about, it's basically about, you know, intimidation. And yes, and is. and using your connections. Yeah, as always. All right. So, getting back to this issue of because I'm always fascinated by what do these people really think happened and what is their basis for believing that Jerry is guilty, and it's never about the evidence. No one ever says whether it's Ira Lupert or or or, or in this case Andrew Shubin. No one ever says, "Look, uh, let me tell you about this particular victim who said this contemporaneously, and they have this to back up their story." Uh, it's never. Yeah, but there's one thing. There's one thing he said about the hand on the knee thing uh, that that yeah. we just heard from Shubin. I understood. That's all the process. Right. So the grooming process is what I assumed him to say. And that was the thing the prosecutors went off to. They put the hand on the knee in there so many times. 
right? Like, this is the process. But as you stated, John, there was never anything past the hand on the knee. There was never plying anybody with alcohol and drugs. There was never. But he starts with, I understand that's the process. Because that's what he's believing. He's accepting that as the, the, the conclusion. And then he's putting in the pieces yeah. to get to that conclusion. And let's be clear, that conclusion is very, very good for his bank account. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so, so I, it, it never is about facts. It's never about a specific episode where, that can be proven. It's always about these, these theories and these big picture uh, perceptions of Jerry. And one of them that I found particularly fascinating, uh, AJ, is when, when you got him to talk about how Jerry being a top-notch defensive coordinator in college played a key role in him being able to manage uh, this entire criminal enterprise. This is Jerry Sandusky as criminal mastermind, as proven by his defensive coordinator genius at Penn State. And here's Shubin talking to you about that. Felt different. So, I mean, every everybody's different. And Jerry had enormous control over some people and less control over others. And Jerry had control over some people well, you know, into their adulthood. So, you know, you, you told me that Jerry remembered you when you yeah, saw him as an adult, which, you know, means that, like, you know, he knew that you were, you know, you were out there and he was playing defense. So, um, I don't but know if I put it such harshly like that. That's the way I, I mean, I think he's a defensive coordinator. I think that from the moment he chose a life as a pedophile, or he began acting on it, he began laying down his defense for that too, which was, you know, second mile and, you know, and being, pretending to be an advocate for children. So, mm-hmm. that was his cover. So that's what I call playing defense. Yes. He's a strategist. He's no dummy. One of the greatest defensive strategists, you know, in the history of college football. Oh. <laughs> John, why are you? I just can't take it. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that one, Liz, because I, I can't contain myself. Anybody who believes anybody as a college as a football coach is some mastermind, and don't tell me Bill Belichick. It's not that hard, people. It's just a little studying. That's all it is. But, but more important, but more importantly, the two the two skills are completely different. different. Yes. And not only that, but but if Jerry Sadusky was a brilliant defensive strategist. How the fuck did he stay with Joe Amendola? How the fuck did he did he t- right. How the fuck did he tell uh, uh, Matt Sandusky that Alan Myers had flipped on him? Why uh, didn't he make millions of dollars as a football coach somewhere? Okay, well, yeah, how, why in the world did he do the Bob Costas interview? He couldn't right. answer whether or not he's a god. He's, he's a sexually attracted. He's sexually attracted to young boys. Strategy. That was a great strategy by him on national television. I mean, it's it's uh, AJ. What was your reaction when you heard? him say that truthfully i just i i was just stunned like i'm like this jerry is no master and if anybody's a mastermind it's me for doing what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> like but yeah i just jerry has never struck struck me as somebody who has the capability to be a mastermind i mean he's not been a mastermind towards his own case and his own well-being so hey aj (laughs) i hate to break this to you and i don't mean this in a bad way but you're not a mastermind what this proves is how easy it was to do 
That's true. Right. How right. easy it was to do. And and what you are is you at least had the courage to do that. And that's right. what that's what it is. Right. You have so, courage. So in so but the key and that's I agree with that, but the key parts of this are that we've just heard that Schubin's basis for belief, again, this is a guy who represented at least nine or ten of these accusers, the key accusers, several of them at trial. He should have he should have massive amounts of evidence at his fingertips. His belief is I knew because he wouldn't have spent that much time with kids. And because he was a brilliant defensive coordinator. That's the basis. <laughs> oh, he's a mastermind so, so, so therefore, he must be guilty. I and mean, that, that, to me, uh, immediately I go, okay, wow, the level of rationalization wait, wait, wait. here. Speaking of conspiracy, I mean, you know, he brought up, this is why he formed the second mile. So his entire, he spent his entire life, everything right. he did, setting up a life so he could abuse kids. He brought in wealthy right. guys, like, right. you, you know, to fund his second mile. And he got away with it for 40 years. Yes. Because he was a great defensive coordinator there were you know there weren't any secretive whispers that he was doing this for most of of not all of that time right not one of these not one of these kids once they become an adult decides to tell anybody about any of this because of this amazing uh, strategy as a defensive coordinator um okay so uh let's go to a couple more clips from shubin aj uh, we have one clip here where, uh, just to be clear, since we want to make it, it's, it's obvious from the fact that this took three years uh, uh, that, that they believed you. But we have uh, Shubin on tape uh, telling you proactively that he believes your story and that he would never believe uh, Jerry Sandusky over someone like you. And here's what that sounded like. It's it's, uh, disgusting. You know, like I said, I pick up. I kept this my own self for a yeah. long time, but my understanding is those claims weren't vented, so they they, they That's what they said, but I, you know I'm not saying that I yeah. I, would, I I don't believe that that's true. And so like my understanding is you be, you you believe in me and you you believe my story. Right? Your story is similar to others, so I don't, you know, I'm not questioning it. If you're asking me whether I would believe you or Sandusky, I would say you. So that's, for me, that's not the issue. All right, so AJ, why did you why did you go down that path? You just wanted to get him on the record saying that uh, that he believed you? Yeah, uh, one, I wanted to get him on the record to say he believed me too. If he's believing me, anybody that walked in his office, he was going to believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so I wanted to prove that as well. Like, that was kind of critical to the outsider's perspective as well. well. I mean, the thing is, what's to believe? He wrote the story for you. <laughs> yeah, of course right. I believe your story. Yeah, my story. <laughs> I wrote it. Um, okay. <laughs> now, and we've already Yeah, met- he wrote his own, my, my story for me. So, All right, I now- mean, yeah. Now, we already mentioned that you one of the con- concerns, and I think you, you may have alluded to it there, if not there, I know you alluded to it elsewhere, uh, that um, one of the problems you have about a, being a theoretical uh, case against Penn State is that you are too old by law. Uh, in a normal case, right. in a normal case, you would not be able to bring a case against Penn State because you were 31 when you came to Andrew Shubin, and the, uh, the law, at least at the time in Pennsylvania, was that at 30 years old, the statute of limitations ends on child sex abuse. And you get into a conversation with Shubin about that, and, and this clip is important, one, because it gives context for why you do not bring a claim 
uh, because Schumann has a strategy that you're going to wait. You're going to wait to see whether or not the law changes, right? I mean, because it was there was debate at the time whether or not the law might change, correct? Right. And and so he's going. I think believe he refers to it as a pause. He's going to pause your case, your claim against Penn State, because he doesn't want to bring it. And Penn State say, look, uh, you know, we don't need to pay this because he's outside the statute of limitations. And there's a couple of very interesting things that he mentions while giving context for your case regarding statute of limitations. He mentions how Matt Sandusky was able to be paid despite the fact that he's outside the statute of limitations. And then he also talks about the changes in the Penn State board and that clearly that there was an alteration in the weather uh, at the, the Penn State board and their willingness to pay these settlements, which was interesting to me because I was unaware that there had been this change in the weather, even though I've been pushing for it. Uh, but here's Shubin talking to you about the issue of the statute limitations, Matt Sandusky, and the changes in the willingness of the Penn State board to pay out easy money. So, I mean, didn't you say, like, time that they have, like, there's a timeline or something that Well, you, the statute of limitations is already run, run when you were 30 years old. So if we bring a civil claim, they could defend against it by saying the statute of limitations has run. Um, and that would be the end of it. Right? It'd be simple. They have not done that with some other clients that I've had. In the first round, I had clients like Matt Sandusky, whose statute of limitation also ran. Okay. But they didn't. Ex- they didn't. They didn't exclude them. They settled cases with them. It was a factor in settlement. So, if ma- meaning that you know, if you had a claim that wasn't subject to the statute of limitations, that claim was as a de- definite. As you know, as as a. There's no question that that's worth a whole lot more than claims that are time barred because they Penn State's not going to pay a lot on a claim that's time barred because they know that you either have to take it or go away. You don't have any right. You understand? Mm-hmm. So your your case is time barred. So that's, you know, another reason to, to have a pause here. Right. Now, in the first round, they accepted, you know, a couple time barred claims, but they may not be doing that anymore. I don't know. Everything's different now. So we're still trying to figure out what they're, you know, it's a totally different you know, set of cer- you know, set of circumstances now. Right. So back then, it was um, they were under one sort of set of pressures. Now, those pressures have almost reversed. Which, like, the board of directors are a bunch of freaking idiots who, you know, think that Penn State shouldn't pay one penny to anybody. You know, so it's 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 a much more um, contentious atmosphere now whether that translates into the actual resolving the cases or not i don't know but again like to put you out there without you know without having enough you know is just going to set you up for you know for for failure and for being give and give them a reason to try to you know undermine you to try to say things that make you not credible now, AJ, you did, during the course of your conversations with Shubin, you talked about a lot of different subjects. And one of those that I found to be particularly interesting, because I'm always fascinated by what the people involved in this story, what their theory of the case is. And because, Liz, so often 
the theory of the case is completely inconsistent uh, with what it should be. And I don't know what you mean by well, that. Well, I'm about to ex- uh, illustrate this because you uh, you start talking to him about Penn State and why Penn State has uh, decided to, to settle all these cases. And it gets into the subject of Joe Paterno. And now let's be clear here what Andrew Shubin's role here is with vis-a-vis Joe Paterno. He is Alan Myers' attorney, who is the boy in the shower, who is at the heart, the very heart of the case against Joe Paterno, because the McQuarrie episode is everything. And he's also the attorney for the 1971, maybe 72, depending on which story you believe, 1971 accuser Randy Tice's story, which became a huge deal because of Sarah Ganim's reporting on that uh, in 2016, even though there was no video interview of that. But he's the one that implicates Joe Paterno back in 1971, claiming that he uh, told Joe Paterno and someone who appears to be the athletic director over the phone in an apparent conference call in 1971 from his home, which is bizarre. What a story. Okay, but, but the point is that he represents two of the most key accusers with regard to the case against Joe Paterno. And, and AJ, do, do, you, do you recall this portion of the conversation and do we need any more context uh, from your perspective on, on Shubin's view of, of Joe Paterno's role here? I'd give me a little more context on it because I, I, I do recall the conversation, but I just, I don't know, not sure what you're, what you're. Okay, well, let's, 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 let's play the clip and here, here is Shubin talking about Penn State and why they settled and and then his view uh, and his belief, although it's not that strong, uh, that Joe Paterno uh, was directly involved in a cover-up here. Although he ends it by saying, "What difference does it really make now?" Penn State probably felt that the crime was that it was a bargain, that things could get much worse. So that would be my guess. And I guess I guess I also don't understand, as we talked about just briefly about the. Joe and stuff like I, I don't understand like the position there like what position well this is if second mom was aware of this and they weren't so uh-huh. they were made aware of stuff had they taken action then this never even oh, there ends were, up on that were, that end of the spectrum yeah. you know what I, you know there what I mean dozens and dozens and dozens of, of, of adults if not more that could have stopped this and didn't you know, wasn't just, right. That's how I feel. It wasn't like, just I, Joe Paterno. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I believe he was among them. It wasn't just him. There were lots of other people that could have stopped it as well. So and should have done more, as Joe Paterno my, said. Right. And from so, my understanding, like, of all the people, though, that when you look at like what was done, how how repercussions or safety measures were pointed out, it only seems like Joe was the only one that actually take some sort of action. You know, and well, I mean, that's everybody, everybody, you know, is that's... And that's sad, like, because you would hope that... Until we know all the facts, it's hard to judge whether he did, you know, but... Well, that's a very good point, until you, you know all the dead. facts. He's dead, right. so you're never going to But know. I guess the But facts. I tend to believe the, the victims, I don't, tend, I don't, you know, that's, in my experience, I believe victim, the, the, the victims in this case over... Penn State over, you know, Jay Paterno over Jerry Sandusky. 
So, and the jury believes that as well. So whether or not Joe knew when or how or what. No, it's, it's, you know, it's more of like, that's not kind of what I'm pointing out. What I'm pointing out is that of all the people that had access to be able to stop live use, other, others abuses, right? None of them, not one single one of them. At every that they think you to try and stop it. We don't at know that. We don't know that. But, but as you said, I believe, if facts I were to say differently, yeah. sure. Yeah. But I'm just talking in the present yeah. tense, present yeah. now, that yeah. of what we do know, um, and hopefully maybe like I, I get to find out like there were things like or whatever you know, right. like however that turns out. But I was just talking in present tense, so what I don't understand is how. How can a, how could so much blame be centered around one individual when there are multiple individuals within that program that had every right to report, every right to, to, to make claims and they failed to do so? Even on my end and what I see from others, you know, it's just like they were obligated by law, but they're not being held accountable to that, you know? And one of those people is, is court. Corey gave money to the second model. He's you can find him in multiple pictures with multiple people. Right. You know, he he's not the one. There's local businessmen that have an obligation. I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that there were many, many adults. But, I mean, like sometimes, like if the team doesn't perform well, the coach gets fired. If something bad happens, you know, it's, many people believe. It's the coach's fault. Many people believe that you know Paterno, you know, was a micromanager and he knew everything that went on. I mean, I, I didn't know the guy, so right. I, you know, I didn't like. I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't have his side of the story. However, you know, I, if, you know, in my view, I believe that you know, I don't, I haven't, I believe the victims in this case, even the ones that say that they reached out to him. Um, I don't. You know, I, do I, I do I have a videotape or an audio tape? You know, we wish we don't. We all wish we did. Right. But you know, it's almost an academic point of view. Like, what does it matter anymore? <laughs> now, I found that last statement to be wow. amazing. Right? right? What? It's an academic right. uh, subject. What does it matter anymore? Wow. Whether or not Joe Paterno really was guilty or not. Uh, but but there's a lot to unpack there, and I want to make sure that because some of it's subtle. I do think it's interesting that once again, the the phrase that is the basis of the name of this podcast, which of course is with the benefit of hindsight, comes back to haunt Joe Paterno once again in a, and, and also gets uh, mischaracterized because Shubin says, he quotes Paterno there as saying, he should have done more. He said that himself. Well, that's not what Joe Paterno said. Joe Paterno said, with the benefit of hindsight, I wish I had done more, which is very different than that. And the benefit of hindsight part gets lost and forgotten. And that's part of why the, that's the name of this podcast. But it's, it's incredibly important to remember that when he says, I tend to believe the victims, uh, he's talking about Randy Tice. Because that's who he represents. And we're going to get to Randy Tice in a minute. But the larger theory here, Liz and AJ, mm -hmm. which I find bizarre, is his theory is many, many people had the opportunity to stop this, yet they don't. And it doesn't click in his mind that, wait a minute, how implausible is that? 
In other words, isn't it right. possible that nobody did anything because no one knew because there was nothing to know? And by the way, if many, many people <laughs> could have stopped this and they failed or they, they turned a blind eye, why aren't they charged with anything? By right. the way, why aren't they on trial? Why aren't they brought forward? This is a bunch, uh, it's a fabrication. But it never, but AJ, Come it, on. but AJ, it, it clearly, I find it to be a contradiction, and I don't know if you agree, Liz. To, if, if you so strongly believe that there was this massive cover-up. Right, and, that's what this is, a, a huge thing that he's claiming. But he's still not 100% sure that Paterno was involved. He says, well, we'll never know. He's dead. What difference does it make now? I tend to believe my my accuser. He doesn't name Randy Tice. But uh, but AJ, do you, do you see where I'm going with that? I do see where you're going with that. And, you know, I, I think to confirm that, both, both Shugan and McNabb, had said out their mouth, nobody came forward. The police searched after them. So how is the cover-up just in that regard? Like, how, how are people supposed to stop something that you both admit to nobody knew about? You know, right. like, you, you can't stop that. Yeah, okay, and in regards but- to Joe Paterno, Joe Paterno, first off, is not a trained um, in, in any way in child abuse. Second of all, like, that... You know, as you pointed out, John, it's um, he, he's admitting he doesn't even know. So how can how can somebody how can somebody stop something well, they're unaware of? There was there was no cover up in this case, absolutely none. Look, can I say this though? What he said is he used a he used a football he used a sports analogy there. He said that you know he's the head coach. The buck stops with the head coach. This isn't about right. winning and losing a game. This is about evidence and proof and truth and a different thing. It can't be that, well, Joe Paterno then in this case represents all of anybody, everything. The buck stops with Joe Paterno in right. central Pennsylvania. Right. That doesn't make sense at all. And to what AJ just said, though, th- th- here's a guy who represents the the most prominent victim who claimed to have told Joe Paterno completely implausibly, in 1971 about his abuse by Jerry Sandusky, and even Shubin's not sure. So Because it doesn't right. matter. It's an so academic he's subject. He's not sure at all no. if, if Joe Paterno knew. So, so, so if he, I mean, that's- exactly. If he's not sure, how can anybody possibly be? But I guess I want to make sure we don't lose the point, because, AJ, you, you're trying to look at this from both perspectives of even if Jerry is guilty, Joe Paterno is still, innocent, is still innocent, even though you know in your in your view very strongly that Jerry is innocent and that therefore everyone's innocent what i can never get over is how when given two possibilities so in Schumann's mind there are two possibilities here i guess one is <laughs> that everybody was in on this in some way shape or form everybody right but he never considers the possibility that wait a minute isn't it possible that it's more plausible that no one knew anything because there was nothing to know that 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 never right. even that never even seems to dawn on him because his investment is that deep. Now, AJ, you know, I've criticized you uh, a lot for uh, for the way you've handled things uh, you know, in certain ways. I've referred to you as James Bond meets Barney uh, Fife. And and this, this clip here might be the ultimate example of James Bond meets Barney Fife because uh, here, here you do something really smart uh, and risky, where you uh, decide to effectively confront Shubin about Randy Tice. Now, we don't know Randy Tice's name at this point, uh, but you're referring to him as the 1971 accuser. And in a, in a, fair, in a fairly strong manner, because that's now been public, this is past 2016, 
in a fairly strong manner, you decide to tell Shubin you don't believe Randy Tice. Again, that's his own client. Now, I'm curious, before we hear the clip, was this an, a, a spur-of-the-moment decision on your part? Uh, you know, what, what was the thinking in deciding to do this? To be honest, it was a spur-of-the-moment. I needed that information. Uh, I felt like that was important. And I was kind of offended by the 71 accusation, considering that puts that puts it on campus around the time of a family relative who was a coach on that time. And since I knew the makeup, which I won't get into, I knew the makeup of campus and concerns to football and sports, I knew he was lying. I knew hands down he was lying. Um, so uh, his story makes no sense, and there is a great discrepancy in where he's saying that the, the things took place. So I just, I just knew he was lying. I mean, the whole right. story is just... Well, it was a it, it was a the, the James Bond part was it was a great idea and and risky to go down this path, and then the Barney Fife part is you won't shut the fuck up and let him yeah. talk. So, um, <laughs> uh, so unfortunately, I don't know if we get as much out of this as we might have. And in fact, I want you to listen carefully because I and we'll talk about this after we hear the clip. It sounds to me like Shubin gets really irritated and almost threatens to drop you as a client because of this interplay here. But here's what it sounded like. And this is, to be clear, this is just after the Paterno conversation that we just previously heard a few moments ago. So, well, I think it matters to victims well, and future no. victims and past victims of child abuse to be able to have some sort of understanding and some sort of hope that things will be handled properly. Uh, well, that I agree with. You know, if it's like, I guess my take issue with the 71 claim, mainly because... With what claim? The 71 and 76 claim, uh-huh. because they make absolutely utter on the basis of just general knowledge, no sense. Right. One of the claims in there states that... Well, I, I don't you, decide, you know I, mean? I don't... It's like, just, it just makes no sense. So it's doing an injustice to my case. It's doing an injustice to future <clears throat> individuals who are abused because it's going to leave the perception open that as long as you just make a statement, it, it makes it true, you know, in the public perception. And that's why I take issue with it because I will never be able to forget the abuse so and I won't be able to ever live right because of it and somebody makes a claim like that that has no factual evidence even their own words don't make sense like that's like saying oh well you know I went to the store yesterday but the store wasn't even business yesterday it just opened up today so you know it just makes no, no sense at all, and I feel insulted and degraded even more by it. Right. You know, and that's, I, I guess, I guess my question to you is, you state that you believe these yeah, victims, and apparently you are a loyal lawyer for one of them. Is that correct? So, I, I mean, I can't really say, so I'm not, I'm not at liberty to say a lot. So a lot of but you, is you would believe so you would believe that even I with have, the example I gave. Uh, well, I have I have come to learn, you know, in this process, that that victims 
typically don't come forward and lie about something like child abuse. Whether was I there, I don't know, but like, what's my opinion about it at the end of the day? I'm a lawyer. I get, hired. I get hired by people. Like, I'm not a commentator. I'm yeah. not a policymaker. I'm, I'm a lawyer who represents victims, and I fight for them, you know, and, and if I don't believe they have a, a viable claim for whatever reason, I avoid the case, you know, like even in your situation where I have no reason to disbelieve anything you've told me, it may not be, you know, it's so it may not be a good fit at this point, you know. So it's, I, I, I tend to believe that institute the, that the Penn State and the, the players, the powers that be, allow Jerry, you know, all the room to operate. He needed and that, you know, and this would and. This was the result. So, you know, he otherwise he wouldn't have had access to children if he didn't have access access to Penn State's brand. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. But he would. And I totally, right? I totally understand what you're saying, right? That you're saying, you know, like that. What's been what you, what you know of other things, you feel like people are saying, well, you know, those aren't true, and everybody who's coming forward is lying. There are people who believe there are no victims, but, you know, that people will say the same thing about you, that you don't have corroborating evidence, and you don't, you know, and, and they'll say the same thing about you, which is why when we talk, I talk, you know, about corroborate, how important that, that is, corroboration, because that was, some, you know, something in my view that is really critical to bringing these cases. A lot of people who came to me were people that the state police identified. They had wanted nothing to do with this. And the state police identified them as victims because Jerry was keeping, you know, log sheets that who, that identified people who the state police thought were victims. They, they were content to leave sleeping dogs lie. They didn't want to be identified. So, you know, it's... it's all right. Now that wow. last that last part there again. There's a lot uh, to go through, um, but yes, that last I want to make sure we clean up that last part uh, because this idea that Jerry was keeping logs. Yes. All right. What's that okay, claim? Okay. This is this what is, is the this is the classic situation in this case where uh, everyone presumes guilt, and so any uh, connection to Jerry Sandusky and those that are claiming abuse is uh, is ipso facto proof of abuse there was a list of of names that Jerry Sandusky had not all of whom were people who ended up being accusers but some of the accusers were on the list now now Jerry oh. is yeah AJ you want to say something yeah, see, I was confused to be honest at that point what he meant by the list I at that point I had never I either never heard the list or I had and just didn't connect it at that point. Well, um, well, and so I was thrown off by that. Well, my understanding of this list, and there has been some news coverage of this, and I've, I, according to Jerry, his best uh, understanding and recollection of this is he was creating a list, and Liz, you might appreciate this because you've dealt with sports figures, is that he was creating a list of people that for whom he could get shoes from his shoe, the shoe company that he still had a relationship with, and that some of, by this is shocking, those that were closest to him would be on the list to get shoes, and that those that were right. closest to him would also end up being those who <sighs> were identified by police as potential accusers, and so it's it, you know everything is upside down, everything is reversed. Where oh my gosh, 
we presume we know he's guilty. So therefore, if the name we find the names of the accusers anywhere in his record keeping, this is somehow evidence of abuse. Which so I- doesn't make sense, John, because he's a guy who had the second mile who was around these kids. There's going to be lots of things that he has from these kids. Clearly, right? right. You can't just assume well, everything well, is a you know. Well, one of the worst, Liz, and I'm glad you mentioned that is that there were stories, because of course at the beginning of this when facts might have still mattered, I'm sure the prosecution was concerned about the fact there was no pornography, right? And that people were going to wonder, well, where's the pornography? And so there was this story leaked that photos of Jerry with the accusers were found in his house. Which yes, is, there was. I remember the which, story, which makes everybody go, dun-dun-dun. Right. Like you said, I mean, it's very terrible thought. Right. They didn't say they were naked photos. They didn't say, <laughs> you know. They're in frames on... <laughs> Right, the, on the desk. Right, because right, because they're part of the family. But right. that part of the story got right. lost, you know? Right, right. No okay. reporters followed through. Right, of course not, because we, we wanted to believe what we wanted to believe. But all right, so I just, just so dealing with that aside, let's go back to AJ, your interaction with Shubin there. Uh, I, with regard to 71, I found it fascinating that on two occasions at least, he tells you, I quote, totally understand your concerns about the 71 story, right? I mean, do I have that correct? You have that correct. That's exactly what he said. Now, that's extraordinary, is it not? I mean, he, he's, the, he's the guy's lawyer. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, I totally understand your concerns. But then he indicates what I perceived as a, a great deal of, of insecurity to where it sounds to me like he's ready to drop you as a client because of your concerns that he totally understands. Is that the way you interpret that, A.J.? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought I thought for sure he was going to probably drop me as a client. However, like in regard to, I know you say I talk too much there. I had the way I, I was operating is I didn't want to forget to ask something important, so I have a tendency to ramble. And I think that even though that is terrible job by me to keep running and rambling, I think it helped because in the end I got the answers I needed. Well, um, it wasn't terrible. We got we we did get some good stuff there. In fact, he says, uh, you, you know, I have I have no reason to believe your story, right? I mean, he says, right. I have no reason to believe your story, but we may not be a good fit <laughs> going right. forward because because it sounds like you, you're a little too skeptical of of my own clients. Uh, and then he also mm-hmm. he also says, I have come to learn. I love this part. I have come to learn. I, I presume because of his involvement in this case, that people don't lie about sexual abuse. That's just, I heard that too, and I was like, what, what the heck is that? But, people but, lie about everything. No, what, what he and is. Easily, I know what he's saying. But what, no, mm-hmm. here's what he should have said I have come to learn that in this case, no story of abuse will be disbelieved. <laughs> including, right. Exactly. Including so yours. Don't worry. Don't worry. Including don't worry about it. No one lies about this. We know that. Okay, but but yeah. just to be clear, and he's saying this to someone who he says he believes, who is telling him a fake story. Right. Okay, but then he says Correct. he might not be a good fit because he's a little suspicious. <laughs> I, come on, no, but I, this cannot I be emphasized enough. He is saying, "I have come to, to learn no one lies while sitting in front of someone yes. who is lying to him." Yes. Right, AJ. On purpose. <laughs> On yeah. purpose, in a way that he says has no corroboration, yet he has no reason to disbelieve the story. I mean, that you can't make this up. You cannot you, make You honestly can't. Can I also point out something about the corroboration? I think this is important. So in that meeting, he's, 
he's of course trying to, which that sounds weird. He's trying to corroborate his concocted version of the story as well later on, which is why he asked for my mother to come in, which is why he requested the second mile records and so forth. So it dawned on me, how many of his victims did he do this with as well? Like I was, I was just like, yo, this is, this is complete BS. Like you can't, you know, I get why you would want to get corroborating evidence, but at the same time, like, you know, if you're telling uh, somebody your son was abused or or whatever, like later on, I just I just didn't get it. Like it, it's he almost like that he needed to corroborate Can his own it? story, so he needed evidence for that. But but I think I think what you're saying, AJ, which is a really good point, he's asking for you to corroborate a story that's not your story. So how right. can how can you how can you corroborate a story that he made up? <laughs> now exactly. no, he needs mom to to make you more believable. Oh well, his mother, you know. Right. And we're gonna get to the mom in a just believability. A, issue. We're gonna get to the mom in just a moment mm-hmm. here um, because she she does a great job in in in, in coming forward and, and and helping out with corroboration here. Um, but uh, and also uh, we've already mentioned that you had the letter from Jerry Sandusky from prison, which you completely butchered and panicked over. Uh, but, but but he but he viewed that as corroboration as well. And plus, the most important corroboration, this cannot be emphasized enough, is you were a second-mile kid. And, and that was right. everything, right? I mean, at the very beginning of this, that was all they cared about. Did, can you prove you were in the second mile? So they went back and got your second mile records, and that's why you were taken seriously. That's all that it really took, right? That is correct. If you couldn't validate that you were a second mile kid, they weren't. You were, I know we went to gone forward, which is why I knew I was perfect for this this little sting because I knew I was second mile, and I had a gut feeling that something with those records played a critical role. And the reason for that is. I'm like, if the police went out and found these kids, how the heck did they know they were second mile if they didn't have records? And so when you go to shooting and you get these these records, you have to sign a waiver to, for, for them to send it to you. And then when I saw my records, I literally saw my records for the first time because of this thing. There were redacted versions of, like, there was redacted of the camper list, the food was there, and where I, what my bed was. But I did remember, even prior to this, it was East Hall. So, you know, I, I wanted to really find out how important these records were. And, John, you're right. Like, it really, it really mattered if you could prove you were a second-mile kid. And at that point, all you had to do was concoct a story. That That's really as easy as it was. Is Shubin having some questions about you, or is it is this just his, his normal mo? I think this was just him, his normal mo, and uh, letting it, letting me know what the challenges with my claim were, and that it would be time barred, um, and so Penn State could just say, "Hey, listen, we're not paying this claim." Right. And he gets nothing. So now, now to be very clear, this is important because I'm sure people are wondering. Okay. Did he make a claim? Did he get paid? We we were very clear with each other that we never wanted you to make, get any money from Penn State, and we were never even going to make a claim officially against Penn State uh, because we didn't even know about the legalities of that. So so we were that was never part of the plan, correct? Correct. But AJ, I ne- I never planned to get money regardless. So um, I just. 
I did this for to find the truth in but the AJ, matter. That's it was it. a I walk in the, the park. Truth. It was so easy. Did it cross mm-hmm. your mind just to go forward with it, take money, and tell tell um, John hit the road? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could, I could have done that. It's, it's funny you point that out. I was thinking about that earlier today. I'm like, I don't know how any outsider who could hear this and view this could go. Well, he could have just like said nothing to John and took the three point three million dollars and ran with it. John would have gone um, crazy. You know that, but. <laughs> Yeah, he would have like, said, "Here's my Facebook bar, post. So Here's my letter." That, that he would have had its own process, which yeah. is why he wanted me to file a criminal complaint. But I didn't want to do that. Okay, well, the criminal complaint component we're going to get to because that's important, and that to me is the smoking gun that Shubin 100% believed you, and that uh, that there was a very bizarre relationship going on between Shubin and and uh, the attorney general's office and the prosecution. But but Liz makes a good point, and that goes to your credit, is that our agreement was you were never going to try to get money, but you could have double-crossed me, and you could have gotten, I don't know how much you would have gotten paid, probably not that much, but because you were outside right. the statute of limitations, but you could have gotten something. A hundred grand's a lot of money. Sure. And then, I mean, yeah. I, I bet he could have gotten at least a hundred grand, if not more. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure what the, the politics that Shubin is referring to there. There's obviously that didn't stop Frankie Probst from uh, late in the process getting paid nine million dollars. Yeah. So what, did he so, suggest so, why this all changed? And, and by the way, Frankie Probst was his uh, was his client. In fact, AJ didn't right. at, at one point. I, I I believe I told you to tell. Shubin, that you didn't believe Frankie Probst when we found out that Frankie Probst had gotten paid a lot of money. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. And and did you do that? Did you t- did you tell Shubin you didn't believe Frankie Probst? Yeah, I, I told him I didn't believe uh, uh, Frankie, and he just you know, I don't I don't think I, I think I referred to Frank as something else though. But yeah, I told him told him about I didn't believe one of his clients and he wouldn't discuss it. He he just didn't touch it. And and the reason why I did the reason why I did that was because I had learned that Frankie Probst was a was a a big time payout. Uh, I knew Frankie Probst was full of crap and I wanted Shubin because this was at the time when we were starting to end the sting operation because we thought you were going to be featured in Newsweek. And I wanted Shubin to get uh, to have that seed planted in his mind that, wait a minute, this guy knows something. How does he know Frankie Probst got paid? And I was curious where that was going to go because at that point we we pretty much already knew we were shutting down the sting operation, and I was curious how Shubin would react, and he he didn't take the bait. Um, so, yeah. let, so let's go back to um, an, an important part of this process, which was Shubin did do some semblance of vetting of you. Uh, he did make sure you were part of the second mile. Uh, he got your second mile records. Uh, there was even, uh, you know, uh, some some letters that you had written as a second mile kid. There was a uh, there was, I think, a, a football card that somehow got in your records, uh, which which you've all sent to me. Um, and he which you know all that really did was prove that you were part of the second mile. That's the only thing that 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 did. Um, but that made you eligible for a potential payout because that's all Penn State was paying. But as far as actual vetting, the only thing Shubin really did was he asked to speak to your mother. 
And yeah. and at, this was a key com, a key moment in this process because we didn't know how your mother was going to respond. Now your mother was someone who was a big supporter of Jerry Sandusky, believed him to be innocent. So when Shubin asked to speak to your mother and you go to her, because you and I talked about this, I said, well, can, you know, can, is your mom willing to do this? Uh, what was your mom's reaction to you asking her to come with you to go into a lawyer's office to, to verify that she believes that you had been abused by Jerry Sandusky? Well, how did that go down? She thought I was crazy, <laughs> like literally thought I was like losing it. Um, and I was like, no, I need you to do this for me. And I was like, listen, there's really no way to potentially prove Jerry's um, wrongfully convicted because everybody's against us, as you know. And I'm like, mom, I need you to come in here because he wants you. And I'm like, I need you to talk to him. And then just, I guess, I was like be honest or whatever and uh then i kind of told her i informed her a little bit about like what i had said about being abused and so she went in she did a stellar job she did i was actually shocked yeah she did a stellar job she even stood up what's crazy is she's standing up for for Dottie while she was trying to explain to her that like, I was abused, and did you know anything? And she says, no, I never heard anything. Now, I got that. I haven't delivered that to John yet. But, yeah, she does a stellar job. Like, it's just crazy that he's... And then he's like, well, you know, some of the things that happened to your son are similar to what other victims have said. So, <laughs> so, so it's, it's bizarre, honestly. So your mom that, not only was willing to do it, but she actually knocked it out of the park. And so at that point, Shubin's completely convinced, right? I mean, because your mom is taking part in this, right? Yeah. It, after Shubin, she left me alone. She's like, you're not crazy. I was like, I know. <laughs> She's like, uh, you know, I'm 100% convinced Jerry is wrongfully protected now. I mean, she always had that feeling. Even at trial, she was at trial, so she sat right next to Dottie Sandusky at the trial. So um, she sat more days than I actually did, actually. So, so, so to be clear, having gone through this process of meeting Shubin, she, it was the it was the the thing that convinced her with one hundred percent certitude that Jerry was innocent. Yes, because she saw firsthand what a scam this was. Right. Okay. Now there was a, a moment when your mom meets with Andrew Shubin that is rather hilarious that, uh, you know, for, for, uh, some, for much needed dark humor, we're going to, uh, put into this uh, podcast, uh, because, uh, Shubin warns you and your mother about a particular person, right? Right. And who is that person? You, John. So, so here is the audio of Andrew Schumann speaking to AJ and his mom, making sure that they are aware of this this nefarious person in Los Angeles, John Ziegler, and to stay away from him. Tell you one way or the other, but I would, um, if, you know, if you share it, that could potentially, you know, make you someone that doesn't spend some energy, you know, on as well. So she seems to have some friends, so uh, this guy named John Seymour, I don't know if you might remember her. Uh, the guy named John Seymour, who was uh, the one that appeared on the TV with her, uh, 
Did you see that one she did in the interview on TV? Okay. Uh, she did an interview, right, where the man sitting next to her. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Ace is like a radio talk show guy for Los Angeles, but he, um, you know, he, he probably want to keep things off the radar just so that, you know, people who, you know, who, uh, people, so, so people don't start, you know, trying to find one thing or another one that either want to be like, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's up to you, but I think that's, I think that's a, a good idea anyway. I didn't really understand. All I heard was your name. What did he say about you? AJ, can you, the audio is pretty bad there. Can you, can you recall what Shubin uh, was saying to you and your mother about me and how it is that you kept from laughing out loud? Oh, it took a lot to not laugh out loud. Um, but I had to maintain my, my thing, uh, the case. So he, he basically just asked my mom and me, have you ever heard of this guy, John Ziegler? He did this TV show and he said it twice. Um, and he's been on TV and pretty much, uh, to not go near you, so to speak, or not to talk to you because they, you might twist the story or you might say negative things about the victim. And you got to remember this time I'm an alleged victim. So um, he's basically warning me to stay away from you because you might discredit my story. And your mom does a great job of pretending she has no idea who I am. She does. And I'm looking at her like, please, please deliver, please deliver. Because <laughs> she, she had known who you are for a while because she's followed you too. So Why didn't... she's been interested. AJ, I could never take my mom into that situation because my mom would look right at that Shubin and go, you are so full of it. You know, my mom would lose it and then just, just rip into the dude for being, you know, immoral or whatever. My mom would do that. Your mom just, she was so playing along with the game. She never wanted to do that. Yeah, I mean, she just, she just, I think that that meeting alone convinced her that, you know, she had any, any second guess, which I don't think she ever did, but that was like the icing on the cake for her to know Jerry was by far wrongfully convicted and wrongfully accused. By the way, John, so back I to think you. she just played along with okay. it because she knew she had to. Back to you, John. Back to you. Um, the fact that you've entered into this. You know, for, like, here's this attorney, don't talk to John Ziegler, that you've entered into this, that you've become such an influence to something in this case that an attorney would mention your name, don't talk to this guy, is really significant. So very, very significant. Well, why would you worry about me? Exactly. What, I mean, <laughs> even if you did interfere, if you have a story to tell, if, if, if look, if AJ's, like, been a victim and he's got a story to tell, what does John Ziegler have to do with it? No, no but to me, it goes deeper yeah, than that, no, Liz. it's way deeper no, than no, that, no, of course. No, no, what I mean is, is if I'm full of shit, why even worry about me? Right, right. You're nothing right. but a marble. I mean, who cares? Right. Right? Uh, unless, unless there's part of him that's concerned... That well, of you know, course we know why uh, that he that I'm on to him um, and everybody else. Right. Um, okay. So so you somehow don't laugh out loud when Shubin warns you about me, and your mom plays along brilliantly, and and so he's completely convinced that you're uh, a a real victim of Jerry Sandusky. And as part of all this, now to be clear, the clips we're playing this is these are all in different sessions over a three year period of time. And during this time period, you're going to a therapist. 
uh, you're going to a therapist that, that is his go-to therapist by the name of Cynthia McNabb. And this is all being paid for by Penn State through their insurance company. And here is Shubin explaining to you the payment process uh, with regard to Penn State, the insurance company, and the therapy that you're engaging in to help you get over uh, your abuse by Jerry Sandusky, which, to be clear, never actually happened. So, and you said like some premier group or something? Is, is they have, Penn State has hired a, a group, um, I know I forget the name, but who um, they have empowered to pay for the counseling of Sandusky victims. So, um, so this group would get some information from um, Cindy McNabb about about the, the services she was rendered. I don't know if they if she gets your name or not. I don't know. Um, and that would not be transmitted to Penn State, so they wouldn't know. So they wouldn't know my name. They wouldn't know. Okay. Right? Um, and you know that, and, and they would pay for your counseling. That's okay. that's what that's what they've said publicly. Okay. And so, you you don't know the name. I think it's called Premier, but but um, Cindy knows what it is too. They're out of it's a Texas group. They they sort of specialize in in, in mass casualties. Like you know, if there's a plane crash or something, the airline might hire them to provide services to victims and their families. Um, you know, just to help them, um, and that's what Penn State did. So, and I know that they have paid um, some of the some of the bills in this case. Okay. Not to me, but to a provider. Okay. Now, AJ, to be clear, what's happening there is that Schumann is explaining to you how it is that you don't have to pay for your therapy and that Penn State is indirectly paying it through their insurance company. And this was, was actually a significant amount of money when you consider around 100 sessions over three years, right? Yeah, it's $15,000. Oh, you figured it out how much it was. Mm-hmm. So, 150 session times 100 is 15 grand. Okay, well, so but you're not 100% sure about the 100 number. That makes you sound like Aaron Fisher, by the way. Everything's right, right. everything's, not, a, yeah, everything's rounded up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But so so somewhere in the vicinity of $15,000 is what Penn State's insurance company paid for you to go see Andrew Shubin's therapist, right? Correct. Now, so this therapist, uh, Cynthia McNabb, is a key person. She's one of the quote-unquote right people that, in fact, she's the key right person that Shubin refers to to help people understand just how much they were abused by Jerry Sandusky. Uh, and and she, all of Shubin's accusers went to her. And you know this, right? Yes. And part of the reason why you know this is because there was a group session. A, a, I find this amazing. There was apparently a Sandusky victim group session that she monitored. Is that is that accurate? Uh, yeah, it's accurate, but one added thing. Janet McCracken was in the room when they were offering up the um, group session. What's important about Janet McCracken is that she is the 98 accuser's therapist in 98, and she remained his active therapist even up to trial and into the case. Okay, well, this this is new information to me. So, so this Sandusky group therapy was not conducted by McNabb. She just did. She just uh, 
consulted and 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 basically advised people to go into that group? Is that is that what happened? Well, it was a group. It was yeah, it was a group therapy session made up amongst the uh, Sandusky uh, victims and McNabb and McCracken both running the group. Okay, all right. So 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 they have the two therapists running the Sandusky group for for uh, you know the Sandusky victim group sessions, and you at one point were going to participate in the Sandusky victim group sessions. And this may have been our most unfortunate blunder in all of this oh. uh, because because mm-hmm. you you were you were going to get the keys to the to the kingdom here uh, to be in a group session with all of these uh, these uh, con artists uh, or maybe people who, who thought that they were abused and, and actually weren't. And, and but the reason why you were given for why you were not allowed to go, to the Sandusky victim group session was incredibly I was too angry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was too angry. I was too angry about my abuse. Okay. Now, <laughs> I I, I want to make sure we get. Oh my goodness! I can't. I want to make sure we're very clear about this because this is one of the smoking guns in this. So here you are, a fake accuser. Cindy McNabb has has given you therapy dozens and dozens of times. You are told at one point you were you were going to be uh, recommended to go to this group session. Is that accurate? That's accurate. So you were planning on going to this Sandusky victim group session, and then you get told, you know what, this isn't going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is because you haven't fully dealt with your anger over your abuse. Isn't that what group <laughs> sessions are for? Okay, but but it's, I just want to make. You, AJ, I want to make sure that's what happened, correct? Yes, that's what happened, correct. Now, my first reaction was that, hold on a second. Um, yeah, Liz is right. Isn't that what therapy's for? But but more more importantly than that, given the nature of this case, is hold on a second. Um, the reason why you appear angry and the others don't is because they were never abused. They don't have anything to be angry about because they got paid and you haven't been paid. I mean, is, 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 is that how you interpreted it? Yeah, that's how I interpreted it. 100% sitting there and processing in my head. I'm like, wow, I'm too angry. And then as Liz pointed out, like, wait, isn't that what therapy's for? And why wouldn't you be angry if you were really abused? Like, why wouldn't you be angry? It makes no sense. Wait, um, I, there's so many questions here. Was, was there, in fact, group therapy? Is this real? Or was it some kind of, yeah. you know, pretend? Do no, you there know? was a group therapy. There was an actual group therapy amongst all the Sandusky victims that McNabb had, which I think, you know, having a group session, I, I see why they would do it. But, it, yeah, that, that puts everybody in there to hear everybody's stories and then be able to roll with them. Um if you if you know what I mean, like indirectly. No, no, no. We absolutely know what you stories. mean, AJ. But but what I'm when did this happen, John? Is this like they've already gotten their money and they're supposed to right. be having a groups? Well, that 
Why would anybody? If well, we're, if we're apparently, right about if, if, it was it was disbanded eventually, right? Well, why would they want to do it? They already had their money. Why would they want to well, go to a group session? Because they want to talk about their sports cars, and you know, there's probably trading tips on where to buy a new, new sports car, and you know, what, what the new house tips and that kind of thing. I mean, these are there's a lot of issues related to being a Sandusky payout person. I know, but you're being so, so cynical, and it could be looked upon like really they really do have problems if they're no. willing to get up and go to a group session. But who wants to go to a group session? But AJ is my. My recollection that that does not exist currently and actually got disbanded. Isn't that? I thought that was the impression that she gave you. It, it, it did get disbanded. In fact, it's ironic that um, it gets disbanded pretty much after everybody's getting paid. Oh, really? <laughs> On the timeline? After yeah. they're getting paid. So there, there were yeah, any groups therapy before they got she paid? Even goes. Yeah, she, she even said to me, she's like, well, we ended the group because, like, you know, people had conflicting with their schedules, and I'm looking at the papers. I'm like, oh, that's ironic because they're getting paid. <laughs> like, and they stopped going to therapy too. So, uh, you know, yeah. once you've been paid, like, there's I, there's no real need for it. The, the the money is its therapy in itself. So right. So okay. Now, one of the the key elements of of this perfect storm of of bullshit is, uh, I believe, everybody thinks someone else is doing the vetting. The you know, you know Shubin thinks that the prosecution has done the vetting and that the that the therapist has done the vetting and uh, the media of course thinks that uh, you know the lawyers and the prosecutors are doing the vetting and Penn State thinks that the lawyers have done the vetting so therefore if it's from the proper law firm we're going to pay them out no one's doing the vetting themselves and we got proof of that in one of the clips that you recorded from Cynthia McNabb your therapist where she talks about how she presumed that Andrew Shubin had been doing the vetting of the Sandusky accusers that came to her. And here's what that sounded like. So there may be some people who are coming forward and saying, it happened to me, it happened to me, and it didn't happen. And that's where an attorney comes in and tries to vet the, the, the people and see how consistent the stories are and how you really seem. I don't know. You you did this with, with Andy Shubin, right? Right. Well, so I don't know what happened when you went to his office. He probably asked you a bunch of questions, right? Yeah. Now, it's clear that while Cynthia McNabb believes that a huge part of the vetting of the accusers was done by Andrew Shubin, which we already know to be ludicrous. She also has great confidence, Liz, in her own ability to be able to vet a sex abuse claim. Uh, we're going to hear in a little bit where she uh, claims to have a tremendous bullshit detector. Now, uh, that's a direct quote. Mm. And um, and at certain points, and numerous times during this process, uh, A.J., um, it's one of the more uh, frustrating and confusing things about listening to hours and hours and hours of, of audio tape is the from time to time, you express skepticism, kind of like you did with Shubin, not only about your own story, but also about the, uh, the stories of others. And in this particular clip, you're curious as to how it is that uh, she knows that these guys were telling the truth that came to her. And it ends with her making a remarkable statement that for someone to 
fool her with a fake story would require them to be, quote, a tremendous actor. And here's what that sounded like. To know the complexity of, for instance, a kid whose family background is pretty messed up, who's never really had loving parents, sometimes never really had parents at all, who then gets attention paid to him by this big, important guy who singles him out as special. And the the feelings that go with that, that for the first time in my life, somebody cares about me and look what he's doing for me. I don't underestimate that. So, so then when stuff comes out about the guy and you know that you know that he, he abused you, your first impulse is to protect him or to, to deny that anything happened. And I think that's why some of these stories got changed. Because the person who denied it inside was still a little boy. Still wanting that love from that person. Right, but these are all individuals that were adults. At that point, they were an adult, but emotionally, maybe not. That part of them, maybe not. I don't know. Like I said, it it's just... It's tough to nail that. It's tough in my my conscience to sit there and say, well, I think it happened, but I'm not sure. And I'm, you know, I'm doubting, I'm doubting myself. And then the precedent I feel like we're setting is, hey, look, you know, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, I could make a claim and I'm going to be believed. That's the precedent. Are you being believed right now? Is your claim being believed? I, I'm i not sure how that feels, so I don't know. Like, that's kind of a, like, straightforward... Well, you have put a claim out, right? Yeah. So what's happening? You don't know it's, what's happening. Well, it's... Yeah, I feel like... I mean, have you met with Andy and how recently... It's it's been a while. How but long? Probably a little over a year. And what what was the status of it then? How status it then? of it then was he he was awaiting for the possibility of the law to change. It hasn't so there was the been statute of limitations. Yeah, law. so so it's still not changed. Is that right? Yeah, the law then hasn't. So, <clears throat> anyways, regardless of that, like. I'm just concerned as as a person who who involves myself in multiple topics, this being one, like there will be people out there who could, you know, you become somebody or important figure or whatever. There's 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 just this open basically this like open opportunity to make a claim without much validation of stuff happening. And that's not right. And that's what you are 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 alluding to, at least in some regard. By saying like, well, you know, they kept it 
to themselves, and that that, that may be because I'm not of the trauma. The claims are true or not. I, having sat with these guys, some of them, and having watched them struggle with the aftermath of it, and with the memories of it, I believe them. The ones I've met with. Because I don't think people can make that kind of stuff up unless they're tremendous actors. I don't think people can make that kind of stuff up unless they're tremendous actors. Now, A.G., I know you you were very proud of that clip because uh, you you, uh, were ready to uh, get nominated for an Academy Award based upon her endorsement. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, I was. I was. I was ready for Academy Award for that for that clip. <laughs> uh, well, but the, here's the funny part: you're not that great an actor. I mean, you 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 no. know, you, you screwed up many times in this process, uh, and so uh, and yet uh, here she is saying you would have to be a tremendous actor to fool her. Uh, you know, and just to be clear, because I'm always trying to be as skeptical as possible. In that clip, and in in, in others that we're going to hear as well. She does express at least a semblance of skepticism towards you, saying, is your story being believed? Mm-hmm. Now, she, now we have clips of her saying many times that she believes you. So that I want to make, right. make that clear, and we're, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but, um, the re, but did you sense that she is at all skeptical of you, maybe not 100%, but at least... In the twenty to thirty percent, where she she's saying, "Are you being believed?" What? How did you interpret that? I, I interpret that as uh, almost like she's trying to fish to see if if, if Shuvan is believing me, because if he's believing me, she doesn't have any reason to question whether my story is being believed. I, I do think yes, she was skeptical. There were times that it's very clear because she would ask me how things were going with Shuvan, what the process was like. Uh, in that clip, you kind of hear that as well. Um, but yeah, like, like I feel like she was just going to believe anybody that came to her, honestly, because like, like the natural thought in today's world, and even for a while now, has been you just believe the victims and go from there, roll with it, pretty much. Well, she's created a whole narrative, and we heard it in that clip. This whole right. narrative to explain almost any behavior from an accuser because they're, they're little boys, even though they're adults, and that they they want the love from Jerry, and when they hear about it, they they don't want to tell the full story, and that that little boy is still trying to hold on to that love that they had with Jerry. And I, I, I mean, to me, it's all and even if they're adults, good. they're emotional. AJ, um, did you ever did you ever go sit there and go into details about what happened? Oh yeah, we're gonna get to that. Oh, we're, yeah, oh, I did. because what she's yeah, because what she said. I mean, did she listen to? No, we're oh, that's actually fascinating, and we're coming up. We're gonna get to that very shortly. So you're you're ahead of the game, Liz. All right. So but let's let's go to another clip from Cynthia McNabb, your therapist, the, the go-to therapist of Andrew Shubin and his many many clients in the Jerry Sandusky case. She has treated all of them, and uh, she's very confident in her own quote-unquote bullshit detector. And here is a (laughs) clip uh, which includes many things, but including that quote. I I just wanted to ask you like like I did and kind of answered it. So, like, why you believe them? 
why do I believe them? Yeah, why do you believe them? I think I have worked with a number of them. That doesn't mean anything. Like, that's not death-defining. You work with many people, even outside of those those individuals. I think that it's hard for people to fake the kind of emotions that I have seen in someone. And I, I think, yeah, you're right, it's, it's subjective, but I have a pretty good bullshit detector, I think. So I rely on that. I have no definitive proof I have no videotapes. I have no audio tapes. Right. I have no DNA or anything like that. That's why I ask you. Like, you have none of that. You're right. You have only their word or their emotions, as and you describe. And my sense of it. Right, and your and sense. I do trust myself in that respect. I do. I do trust myself. I have a pretty good bullshit detector. Uh, I rely on that. And here she, again, much like with Shubin, she's in front of someone telling her a fake story uh, that she says people can't fake this type of emotion. Uh, Give us any more context or color for for that exchange, AJ. Uh, Just that, you know, Two things I wanted to comment on the middle part there, the the part where she's talking about, like, admitting there's no DNA, there's no substantial evidence other than her client's words. That's a dangerous, that's just dangerous in the first place, that that be the only thing that that convinces you that somebody's telling you the truth. Um, But, yeah, just if she's point blank period, I'm fake. So if your bullshit detector is that dang good, then you should have picked me off right away, and you didn't. So um, that's that's pretty much what I have to say to to, to that clip. And in regards to her, I mean that one, that one, well, well, I went home and was disturbed by that clip. Well, like, you make I a just, good I, point about yourself, right? Like you know that about yourself, and yeah. that's a great point. But when you go to a therapist, therapists you just tell stories to. They don't have DNA and all that type of thing. That's what they do. They're there to listen to your story, right? right? That's the situation. No, I, I, she's not there for the purposes of legally vetting right. someone's story for a court of law. However, however, she plays an incredibly important role here in why these guys were taken seriously by Shubin and by Penn State. She's Remember, Penn State is paying for this, right, AJ? I mean, Penn State is paying for this therapy, uh, because, including yours. And so, uh, including mine. Right. So, so this is all part of the package here. They, I've, I've talked many, many times about how everybody thinks somebody else is doing the okay, vetting. So and, remind me who all the other people are who he, she sees and talks to, because there's an interesting thing here, Johnny, you bring it up all the time. You you say you believe some of these victims may have been sexually abused, but not by Jerry Sandusky. And so there's where you the emotions aren't being faked. I think that's a great point, Liz. And uh, and I, I AJ, I'm pre- presuming you probably agree with that. And and we don't know 
you know, of the nine or ten Sandusky accusers that she saw, how many of them may have been abused by other people. But we've we've heard in this podcast from Aaron Fisher's ex-wife at this point that she knows he was abused by his former stepdad who's been convicted of child molestation. And it doesn't it doesn't stretch the imagination to think that, you know what? Some of these guys were able to tell decent stories because they were sexually abused. Now, you were not sexually abused, so you were coming out of this with with nothing real on which to base your story, which is probably partially why your story was so ridiculous. Right. Um, but 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 you can you see Liz's point there? Yeah, I can see it. I mean, they, this totally did not slip my mind that some of these individuals could could have been abused by somebody else. I just know they weren't abused by Jerry. And and you're right. If if they were really abused by somebody else, they could easily project that because they know those feelings. They know those those, those thoughts. And, you know, so... And but you can't. Are you saying it's you can't? Clear. You don't have any uh, past history of this that you can't project feelings like that? Uh, no. No, I couldn't project feelings like that. And I weren't in... To be fair, I wasn't in those sessions either um, to know exactly what the emotions... But I'll take, I'll take McNabb at her word that, you know... They they demonstrated these emotions and these strong emotions, and somebody comes fake like that. Uh, however, what I find interesting about her is is she's believing me, and she sees me multiple times afterwards. So, I, yeah, I, I don't. And in far, don't as far as her BS, as far as her BS detector, I not only is she believing you and seeing you, you believe around a hundred sessions over many many years. And while she does express at times a little bit of skepticism, not nearly as much as she should have, and we're going to get to hear some of that very shortly, in that clip, you're doing something which must have seemed very, very odd for a Sandusky accuser. You're saying you don't believe these guys. Now, if she's got such a great BS detector, why did that not set off alarm bells? True. That's a very great point you make, John. Why didn't it set off alarm bells? I mean, I'm on multiple occasions, whether it's with Schumann or um, McNabb, you know, I, I, I probably should have set off alarm bells, which is probably one of the most shocking things of the entire thing is by, by questioning the victim's uh, stories or, or their credibility uh, in regards to Jerry Sandusky uh, and the accusation well, made against I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you're the only quote-unquote Sandusky accuser that they saw that did that because it makes absolutely no sense if you believe that Jerry <laughs> abused you, right? Let's just uh, try right. to use basic logic here. If you believe that Jerry abused you, that's what your story is, and you weren't even part of the trial, why would you disbelieve those that were testifying publicly right. under oath right. that said the same thing? It makes no right. fucking sense. Right. I mean, so now, now granted, you, you know, she might have just thought you were nuts and she sees a lot of nutty people because she's a therapist. But uh, but that that is an inherent contradiction. Not all people go to therapists are that nutty. I'm, I know AJ. He's nuts. <laughs> okay. I just want to defend the people who see therapists for one second, because I don't want us to be one of, you know, painted as a picture as though we don't believe in that. I understand. People can be fooled, you know. OK, so now let's go to McNabb's overall theory of traumatic experiences and and memories and why the stories change 
and whether or not she believes in repressed memories and this issue of post-traumatic stress disorder, which uh, is really paramount to uh, your uh, diagnosis and the diagnosis of all the other Sandusky accusers that go to Cynthia McNabb. And here is her talking about her philosophy on this particular issue when it comes to people suppressing past memories of trauma. Talking about why you repressed or hid it or whatever word you want to use. Right. I, I, I think that people do repress memories. And I think that people don't really... I mean, I think there's a whole continuum of what that means. Sometimes it means they totally forget and it's not in their consciousness at all until something happens sometimes in their life. Like they have a child and the child reaches the age that they were when they were abused and then suddenly the stuff comes flooding back and it's like, what the hell? So, so that's at this end of the continuum. At, at this end of the continuum, the other side is... Um, knowing but not wanting to think about it and sort of putting it out of your mind the way you do with anything that's unpleasant but knowing it's there but just not focusing on it and then there's everything in between so this over here on this end where they didn't remember that's that's repressed memory um and this isn't but it i prefer to use the term dissociation Dissociation just means disconnect. And there's different ways that we can disconnect, and we all do it um, to a greater or lesser degree. You know, I can be driving down the highway and listening to the radio or listening to a song or something and realize that I don't know, I've not been so aware of what I've seen on the road the last 20 miles. That's highway hypnosis. Right, but you think individuals can disconnect for years you're talking about yes. that's a good example yes. of, of highway but you know yes, i'm talking that, about that's, that's a, a that's short a mini, term that's a mini, right. mini short-term example but yes that people can disconnect from for years and they can disconnect from what's what's the acronym i'm not going to be able to remember they can re- disconnect from the knowledge of what happened they can disconnect from the feelings of what happened they can disconnect from the body sensations of what happened. And there's one more, I can't remember it. There's a nice acronym. So, um, or, 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 or all of those. And it, you know, you talk about a, a dissociation happens when you're in, an, in a situation that is beyond uh, What's normal, what people normally encounter in combat is a good example. I think that's where we first started learning about PTSD was with combat veterans. You know that probably. Yeah. So I've been watching the, the Vietnam, the documentary on the Vietnam War, and there's one guy who, oh, I can't remember what happened, but he was, this is after he came home from the war. And something startled him, and he was driving in his car, somebody hopped on him or something, and the next thing he knew, he was out of the car, and he had the driver out of the car, pinned up against the car. He was acting as if he was in combat, but he had no memory of getting out. That's a dissociative response. 
Sure, but apply that to abuse. Okay. Um, a person can be abused, forget about it, and then something happens, that, some, some little thing, like the way the light comes in through a window or something can trigger the memory years and years later and suddenly they have a, a memory of being abused and, and it's very confusing and kind of startling and suddenly, like what the hell's happening what the hell's happening? Yeah, I, I, I want to ask that question, too. What the hell's happening in that <laughs> clip? Um, because because um, there's a lot of stuff there that's very problematic. Uh, let, let's kind of go through uh, some of it. She says right off the bat, I believe people repress memories. Now, that is a term that in, uh, in the legal uh, sphere has been completely discredited and toxified. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Loftus who has actually testified on Jerry Sandusky's behalf, one of the world's foremost experts on memory, has single-handedly discredited the idea of repressed memory and repressed memory therapy. And this is a large part of Mark Pendergrass's book, where he argues that Jerry Sandusky is very likely innocent. Now, it should be noted, Liz, and AJ, I know you know this, but victim number seven, who... Uh, was interviewed by Mark Pendergrast and who admitted having undergone repressed memory therapy was an Andrew Shubin client who went to Cynthia McNabb. Hmm. So this is out. This is not just theoretical. This is a key trial victim who went to Cynthia McNabb and who believes and Mark Pendergrast believes that he really thinks he was abused by Jerry and that he just repressed the memory and cannot remember any of the details, and that's why he never told anybody. And th- and so clearly, AJ, if, if, I, I'm, I'm assuming you'll agree with this, that that Dustin Struble going to Cynthia McNabb, uh, is, it's not a coincidence that he ends up with this concept that he had repressed the memory of abuse by Jerry Sandusky. I, I'm not surprised with, with that. Yeah, Dustin, Dustin, I could buy, would, would be totally convinced. Uh Cynthia is very good at that, and I don't think Dustin would have the knowledge to know that repressed memory has been debunked, and Wait, why would he him? have an incentive to debunk it anyways? He wouldn't. Um, he wouldn't have the no- I'm just basically saying Dustin wouldn't have the knowledge of that being a debunked method of therapy. Do you know Dustin? And thought. I, I actually do know Dustin, but it's been years since I've seen him, and it was before the trial. Okay, but it's. I think it's incredibly important that when she's openly admitting that she believes in repressed memories, which she doesn't want to call mm-hmm. repressed memory. Be- because- that's that's sort of the new term, isn't right. it? The one she uses, the dissociation. Dissociation and disconnect, and then that leads to PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So she knows it's a politically incorrect term. They know within the therapy world that that has been discredited. So now they have shifted. We're mm-hmm. not allowed to use repressed memory anymore. We're going to call it dissociation, disconnect, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, this is where things get really interesting, Liz, because, AJ, you were actually diagnosed by a psychotherapist, not Cynthia McNabb, someone she sent you to. You were diagnosed right. with what? PTSD. Because of your abuse by Jerry Sandusky, correct? Correct. So, so you went, you were sent by McNabb to a psychotherapist 
who officially diagnosed you, and we have the documentation of this, diagnosed you with PTSD because of your sexual abuse you suffered at the hands of Jerry Sandusky. Correct. I need details here. What did you say? What did you say happened? What did you act like? Uh, I just acted with my, my, my concocted story, so to speak, from Juvenile. I just, I just like, you know, I went to this park, and then, you know, that was that was the whole sex thing. And then, like, I extended it on the sh- what Shubin had said um, about campus and stuff like that. But, but, so but, but Liz, is, I just, but I just AJ, I think, I think Liz's question is: Did you express some great emotion? Did you, did you, did you freak out? I mean, are did, you crying? You say, "I can't walk into this place anymore. I can't be here. I'm so stressed. I'm losing oh. sleep. I, you know, are you a mess? Did you yeah. lose a lot of weight? I mean, anything go on?" I was asked questions, but yeah, like I, I faked like emotional cry and and stuff like that. Did you cry like, on demand? She was just, yeah, like just like I was, I was sad, and you know, it's like this is really messed with my life. Did and, you actually cry, you know? AJ? Did you actually cry? <laughs> I didn't actually shed a tear, but I had that emotion, you know, that pre pre emotion before crying. So yeah, like all right, now that- I, I think I did a good job of it because clearly they bought it. All right, now, to be clear, you do not have PTSD, right? No. And, um, however, I will say that I have... I was just about to say it, but John has PTSD. I have PTSD. John has PTSD. I, I have PS- PTSD from my experience yes. in this whole case, yes. but specifically in my relationship with you, AJ. I have uh, absolutely <laughs> PTSD. You would agree with that, right? I'd agree with that. I'm sorry. Yeah, but in all honesty, but John, in all honesty, John, you do have effects. Do you 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 feel the effects of eight years of investigating? No, this no, case? I, I'm and not. You, I'm not lying. Truly, this is true. This is not a joke. This is absolutely true with you. I have, I, I'm around you. I know I what it P- does. I to have you. PTSD mm-hmm. because of this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't have it, AJ. You might have it because of the case too, but not because of Jerry Sandusky right. abusing you. But let's also be clear. Let's just let's make sure we complete the circle here. Yeah. So I've seen the settlement documents, Liz. Mm-hmm. Every single one of, of Andrew Shubin's clients, with the possible exception of one, because there was some ambiguity, but every single one of Andrew Shubin's clients were diagnosed with PTSD, and it was documented in the settlement documents. This was their way of getting around repressed memory therapy. They simply changed the name from repressed memory to PTSD. She brought it right up right there. Right. She, she, she that's a smoking right gun. Up. Smoking gun. I prefer to talk about it as PTSD. And then she, re- she refers to it, the analogy, and AJ, you did a good job of saying, well, what about with abuse? Because she uses the example of combat. Right. right. Okay. Right. Now, but, but is there any, is there ever been an example of a combat veteran Forgetting that they got injured in combat. No. I mean, no. I mean is that is there no. ever been a case of that? Now, maybe if you got a concussion, right? Or you got something happened, right? right. Uh, but no, they know where they've been. They have PTSD because they know what they've seen. They know what they experienced. They know where they're. It's where like, like saying, 
I, mm-hmm. I have PTSD, but I've completely forgotten I was in Iraq. I mean, what, 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 how, or, or forget about even being in Iraq. You know, wh- why do you have, what happened? What, what, what experience did you, did you suffer that mm-hmm. caused you to have PTSD? I have no doubt that PTSD is a real thing. Absolutely true. But it is. It in is many cases. And, yeah. and it's not just because of combat. Yeah. There's all kinds of different Right, but ways. the combat analogy, yes. the combat analogy is absurd right. uh, because there's, I am unaware of, of a situation nor would it be would it be logical for someone to forget that they suffered uh, a damage in combat? I mean, that just I've never heard of that. It doesn't make any sense unless there was a major injury, like you said. Right, huh? unless there was a concussion. I mean, mm-hmm. let, let, and and you know, other than Randy Tice uh, taking out Jerry's teeth in 1971, there's no. <laughs> There's no evidence of any physical fights between uh, any of these accusers and uh, and Jerry Sandusky that would cause that. Um, so so I found that clip to be really, really significant. Uh, and again, to be clear, because you were diagnosed with PTSD, it further substantiates that her BS detector is not working. The system's BS detector is not working. And once you and, and once you she finds out because I have the tape of you telling her that you've been diagnosed as such by her psychotherapist, that has to have an, a huge impact in your credibility in her eyes. Right, AJ? Right. Yeah, because I mean, so now you're one of the club. You're part of the PTSD right. club. All right. PTSD club. Right, okay. These people are either phoning it in with their jobs or they're part of a, consp- you know, they're doing it on purpose to get the money. I don't want to use conspiracy well, because I, don't, I think I don't think they're conspiracy at this point. I don't think that's conspiracy. I just think there's money in it. There's a system that they're doing, and they're running people through a system instead of stopping to listen and do their job. This, I think that's I, I, more. right. This is a conspiracy of self-interest. Everyone yeah. is believing what's good for them. I mean, or sim- laziness, and 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 that's a great setup for where we're going next. Because here's Cynthia McNabb, who I. Having listened to many hours of these excruciating tapes, I mean, they are excruciating. Listening to you, AJ, is excruciating. I, I mean, I, I could not possibly have been paid enough money to do this. PTSD. And, and, and I did, and that's why I have PTSD partially uh, due to my, my involvement with you in this situation. But um, she's not dumb. She is not a dumb person. Now, she believes a lot of crazy things, uh, and, right. and, um, but she's not dumb. And, and I don't think that she, she has a non existent. BS detector. I just think she put it on silence. Uh, yes. She's running it through the system, John. Right, right because, mm-hmm. because she is so invested mm-hmm. in her beliefs about the nature of sexual abuse, the nature of memories, repressed memory, PTSD, and what have you. And where we find out about that firsthand is when you tell her your specific story of abuse. Now, this gets a little complicated, and, and, and I want to make very clear that we're about to play five different clips from a, an extended conversation. This was all from one session, one of your however many sessions you had, close to 100, that was you know, in a, like a 50-minute session. And we're going to play five clips. They're, they're not anywhere near 50 minutes, so don't worry about that. But, um, but, uh, but this is all from one session, and this is going through point by point, you telling her your story and the story you're, you're, we're going to hear you tell is your original story that you told Andrew Shubin in your first meeting with him, the, the crazy story about being abused by Jerry Sandusky in a park behind Joe Paterno's house. Correct, AJ? Correct. Now, at, at later points in the session, you do reference 
Shubin's version of the story, but you don't give any details of that because you don't have any details because it, it's not your made-up story. I guess you could only, I guess you're only comfortable talking about the details of your made-up story, not Shubin's made-up story. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. Okay, so so for the purposes of simplicity, we're going to take uh, you through the telling of your story, the one you told Shubin before he totally changed it, and 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 basically disre- he basically disregarded this version of your story because he didn't find any value in it. I don't know if he didn't believe it because it's so ridiculous, but uh, but it was no value to him because it's not on Penn State's campus and you didn't tell anybody at Penn State about it. So so it's of no value to him from a monetary perspective. So let's go through the clips and and you're gonna you're gonna hear um, how believable AJ is. And at times, I think Cynthia McNabb is close to calling bullshit, um, but she she can never pull the trigger. Uh, so this is just it. Just to give you kind of a, a starting point where um, AJ is is describing to her the difficulty, the challenge of remembering his abuse. So this is kind of just to set the tone for the conversation. I wanted to uh, get a little serious today, so. Wanted to talk about like why it's a challenge, what I recall and what's a challenge for me to remember about my abuse. Why it's a challenge to remember? Yeah, some of it's like foggy, has been foggy for me mm-hmm. at times or whatever. But the basic of what I recall is that when I was 19, yeah, 1996, I believe. This, the year I was at the second mile. And how old were you in 1996? In 96, I would have been 13. Okay. Yeah. So it's like 96, 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so I was at this camp. I was having a blast somewhat. At the same time, I was having a lot of like challenges with staff and with my peers because it's just who I've been most of my life. I have a hard time developing friendships and relationships. So, so I'm gonna, can I ask you questions as you talk about this? Yeah. What kind of challenges were you having? What was happening? Just getting along. <clears throat> All right, now AJ, so I'm assuming that that part of the story was real, right? Yeah. Okay, so you were, you were creating a, a scenario for her, uh, why you were at the second mile, uh, what the circumstances were when Jerry decides to suddenly abuse you. And, and that was all based on a real set of circumstances, right? Correct. Okay. And then from then, you go on to start to tell the story of meeting Jerry behind uh, Joe Paterno's house in this park in State College, which leads to your sexual abuse. And we picked this we picked this up a couple of minutes later in the conversation where uh, she's she's asking you about how it is that you ended up meeting uh, Jerry Sandusky and specifically whether or not your parents knew that you were meeting Jerry Sandusky, which I thought was an indication that she had at least a little bit of skepticism about the nature of your story because she seems a bit confused by that. But it, this is about a uh, a four and a half minute clip uh, that begins with with her expressing, uh, you know, at least a curiosity about how this meeting took place. Did your parents know you were meeting him? I think 
on a few occasions they did, but no, for the most part they didn't. So you didn't tell them you were meeting Jerry Sandusky at the top of the hill? Mm, don't think so. I probably would have said I'm going to meet a friend. Oh. As I would do normally. So how did he get, how did he contact you then? He had campers numbers, like he had. Did you have your own cell phone? No, he called the house phone. He called the house. And Mm. so somebody at the house. I happened to answer it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so that's how you... Um, yeah. Cause I mean, I had I had like issues with with going back. So I think in some some ways he called. He must have called because somebody must have told him that I was upset about the camp. And you wanted to go back or didn't want to go back? I wanted to go back. Okay. I I, I enjoyed the time there okay. at the, the, the the stuff. I mean, okay. I got into arguments and stuff. But yeah. Overall, the experience was okay. was pretty good. Okay, so you agreed to meet him because he was maybe going to talk with you about going back. Yeah, and about what my issues with the camp were. I see. I had a lot of issues with counselors there, so. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, we get in the car, and he's just basically talking to me and asking me about why I was upset with the camp. And he pulled, we get basically to where, I don't know if you know where Sunset Park is. I do, I can't pull it up. It's like, is it on the other side of North Allerton Street towards like West College? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, opposite. Yeah, I do know where So we get there, we continue talking. And he puts his hand on my lap. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm like, eh, whatever, coaches, I mean, people have done this people before. Touch, yeah. Exactly. So, I, I mean, I've even had friends do a like, good job or, yeah. you know, set their. So I, I don't really think nothing of it. Mm-hmm. When I start to think something of it is when he starts sliding his hand upwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, just kind of creeped out. Because it was. Yeah, it was like fine to be on my leg. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if it was fine to be on my leg in the sense of I didn't want really like even the previous people doing it. Right. But it, it wasn't... Wasn't that inappropriate. Right. So you're sitting in the car talking at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> and so then he he's like continuing to talk to me and... About the camp. About the camp. And tell me, you know, it'll be alright. Like, you sh- you know, if you want to come back, you come back. Or whatever. And, uh... I'm like, yeah, I had fun. But, like, really didn't like how the counselors treated me. They kind of singled me out. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it'll be alright. Remember to stay focused on your goals. You know, and... And pretty much be... Uh prove them wrong or just show them that you know that's not how they are so things continue to kind of discuss from there and he just kind of like continues to fondle my legs so to speak and I'm uncomfortable with shit I'm like why are you doing this like this is weird like I've never had anybody do this it's just instinct telling me it's weird Sure. and so then he's like 
why don't you come out the car and we'll go talk I'm like okay I'm weirded out so why should I come out the car and talk but he's an adult so I don't know what to, what a, you know right plus if you get out of the car maybe he gets his hand off your leg right you know, so. so what what time was he this? I think it was summer yeah so summer through fall you, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. and so then we go down there's this bike path or there was this i don't think it was a bike path necessarily it was some sort of path uh-huh. that actually ex- exited through sunset like if you go straight out the parking lot and down there's this bike path. Uh-huh. Yeah. and that's where he insisted that i give him oral sex okay he insisted well he yeah pretty much uh-huh. I mean, that's hard for me to say but yeah, yeah pretty much pretty much maybe. like he did okay so, so what did he say do you remember he he's kind of blunt about it which is even weirder yeah um and then i'm like i didn't i of course didn't feel comfortable and i didn't even really know what that was mm. at the time and so that occurred and you know then he after that he 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 would come get me more all right now aj um <laughs> let's go through this uh clip at the beginning uh, do you feel as if she's expressing skepticism about your story because she doesn't understand how it is that you met jerry without your parents knowing uh, at the time, probably not, but I, I see it now, yeah. It sounds to me like she's expressing skepticism. She's like, so how did Jerry meet you? You you, you, you answered the phone? I mean, she, I mean, I'm hearing skepticism. You're not hearing that? Uh, no, not, not really. But, like, I could see where you're, you, you'd hear skepticism in that, yeah. Well, and but what doesn't appear to uh, create any skepticism is where you say that Jerry Sandusky, although she at other points she does uh, express, uh, you know, cynicism about the the location and whether it's on a, a bike path and how how open a space that is and whether or not people can see you. But to me, the biggest hole in your story is Jerry Sandusky says, "Give me oral sex." You tell her you don't know what oral sex is. So how did you give Jerry Sandusky oral sex if you didn't know what it was? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good point. Uh, what, how did you make up that story? How, how I just I just did. It, it it was it just came to my head like randomly. That's why it's such a bad job. It's, in fact, I was believed is even more shocking. Well, I think part of the reason why you're believed, correct me if I'm wrong, is I hear nervousness in your voice, but your nervousness is because you know you're telling a bullshit story and you're afraid she might figure it out, and she's probably interpreting the nervousness as the trauma coming out in your voice of remembering a real event. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I was totally nervous in telling it. Like, I, I, I mean, it's hard to say that. It's hard to say that. I, was, I mean, it, it, 
and she had over the year, over the time period, she had kept pressuring me and like you, you talk about so many other things, but you never talk about like your actual abuse. So that day I went with it. So you know, now how 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 like, long how long into your therapy sessions, how many years or whatever do you estimate this was before you finally told her the full version of your story, your fake story of abuse by Jerry Sandusky? Between two, two and a half years. Wow. Wow. So she never got it, got you to talk about it, never insisted that you talk about it before then. She, she did insist on a few other occasions prior to that time. And I, I, I just couldn't like, it's hard to, it's really, really difficult to work your mind up, uh, I guess as a, as a straight male and say, Hey, this person fake or not, you know, forced me to give a moral sex. Like it's not easy to do that. Um, well, you guys in central Pennsylvania got a lot of hangups with that. I mean, what's so, it's a big deal. I I don't understand that. Like what's so hard to admit that you were making a fake story. That just, it is very traumatic to make up a fake story of abuse. I mean, it's, but I don't, what the heck, AJ, did you spend two years, almost three years talking to her about these sessions? I mean, basically you're, you're ripping off the, the, the university getting sessions. What are you talking to her about? Uh, we talked about a wide range of things from whether it's, it's, you know, um, re- real things I experienced in life. Um, you were using to, her as your therapist. Yeah. To just building, to me, I was trying to build, I know it seems forever, but I was trying to build a rapport. I was also trying to keep, you know, the sessions going to get the information we needed. So like not all the information came at the, at the same time. Uh, I wanted to really get data and, and make sure that I was making the right right decision and concerns to uh, these these victims of now victims because Jerry's convicted, uh, and so that takes still time. Alleged wasn't, victims. I wasn't ripping off anybody. It, it, it's just the way it progressed that way. And by the way, just to be clear, you wanted to make sure that you were right. I mean, so so right. you you were open to the idea that maybe these guys were actually victims, at least in theory, right? Absolutely, and if you look at if you really look at how how you know some of the some of the things that John you've expressed, well, you know you did the the James Bond Bernie, but some of that is I want to be sure. Actually, most of it is I want to be sure I'm not I'm not wrong here. Like right. I, I don't want to discredit anybody who really experienced this type of abuse. I just want to find out how how that determination was made. Sure. And based on spending dang near three years or not, it was probably straight up three years. Um, you know, I, I don't see how any of these, these victims were really abused uh, in the sense that it concerns Jerry Sandusky. All right. So let's go back to your conversation with Cynthia McNabb. We move forward only a couple of minutes and, and she compliments you. <laughs> on doing a good job of making it a fuller story than she had ever heard you give previously. And then she she does probe you for some more details about what happened in your relationship with Jerry. And here's what that sounded like. But you did a good job of making it a a fuller story. We were talking about that last time, how it's just not just a statement of, a headline. <laughs> it's a. It's. I have more of a sense of you being in it 
right. and you tell it like this, and that's important for your for your work. So, the first time was it? What time of day was it? I would say it was probably mid-afternoon or mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, during the day. It's and this happened in public. Was there? I mean, I wonder why wasn't you afraid of getting caught? Were you kind of in a secluded area? I mean, that parking lot is normally not even like right, but people. Frequented. But you were on the bike path or something. Yeah. Like that. So people go on the bike path, runners. Right. Runners. There was really nobody, nobody on that, was and and the. I I mean, we weren't literally on the bike path. It was, we were like on each side of the bike path. There's there's woods, mm -hmm. so I mean. It's possible somebody could have come oh. by, but they weren't to necessarily see. Yeah, okay. I mean, it wasn't like, boom, right here in the... Right. Whatever. So you said you, he told you to do this, so you didn't really know what that was? Or you weren't... Uh, weird to you? Was he rude? And it, weird. It oh, yeah, weird. weird. It was weird. Yeah. It was just... Weird. Like I don't even like. I can I can least understand that. It was weird to me. I didn't know what it was, and mm -hmm. you know, he basically just showed me and then Should forced it. Okay. What do you mean? What do you say? Like, he just forced me to do that. So he like grabbed your head. Yeah. So it's just like. So he forced you physically from her, as well as telling you to do this. Right. What do you remember what that felt like? No, I. I, I Does it get? Don't miss it. Does it get foggy there? Or do you... It's. Felt aggressive. I mean, like okay. I don't. Know. Yeah, I don't felt aggressive and like mm -hmm. I'm defensive when people show me aggression, so mm -hmm. But he was bigger than you and stronger than you. Right. I don't know. I still think I should have I mean I fought usually every other time in my life, I, I don't know. My body I guess just didn't allow me. Do you remember Besides feeling like you wanted to defend yourself against aggression, do you remember other feelings? Just felt weird, embarrassed, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. belittled. Helpless? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. So then. They were, did, I mean, after that was over, what, what happened? You took you back to up the hill? Or what? Yeah, it took me back. Did dropped me off. anything? Not really. Mm -hmm. Just uh, pretty much don't tell anybody about it. So he told you not to tell. Yeah. He told you 
don't tell anyone about it until many years later when you're in therapy uh, being a fake accuser. Um, uh, now, Liz, now, now, Liz, Liz, you made a couple of really great observations while we were listening to that about how McNabb is leading AJ, maybe without even fully realizing mm-hmm. it. Oh, she put words. She put words in your mouth, right? There's, she's putting words in your mouth. He, he. What did she, he say? Grabbed your head. Yeah. He grabbed your head, huh? And you felt helpless. Helpless, right? I mean, did, yeah. Did you feel that way, AJ? That she was doing that? She did that a lot, actually, in, in different ways. In terms, of, so yes, I do. Uh, she she's used a lot of suggestive questions and, and a lot of um, just leading, like you said, throughout. Um, but in that particular clip. Yes, that's that's exactly what she did. I, I interpreted it this way. Again, she's expressing skepticism at the beginning. What time of day was this? It was in the daytime right. and nobody was worried about being caught. And yet her own skepticism dissolves when you provide any semblance of an explanation, some of which she provides for you. Like, is she providing skepticism or is she providing the story? Question that. Well, here's, the way I in, here's the way Which I in, here's the way I interpret it. Part of her is saying there's a problem with this story, but she wants to believe it. So then she's looking for. It's almost like she's throwing you lifelines. Like, okay, th- this th- this story isn't very good, but but here's a lifeline. He did he grab your head? Did you feel hopeless? Uh, oh, so um, you know you were just off the bike path, so no one could really see you, and so uh, okay, that was weird. That, and you kept saying, yeah, it was really weird. I mean, <laughs> of course it was very weird because it didn't happen. I mean, um, so 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 the way I am interpreting it, I I think she's having an internal struggle that. That she's invested in the idea that all these guys are telling the truth about Jerry, but part of her 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 brain part her her logical part is saying, wait a minute, there's this doesn't sound right, and yet she's she's fixing the story not in a conspiratorial way, but in in the way of she feels like she's being a good therapist, she's helping you through this does that make any to use her phrase which we're about to hear twice does that make any sense to you aj yeah yeah i mean i think she she is mentally torn she wants to be the good therapist and she also isn't necessarily buying the story but she's she definitely led me and you know i I think she she does mean well overall i think she wants to do the best for the client that doesn't matter that doesn't yeah. matter what she means. doesn't matter. That's why if you're going to therapy for, for two years, you're getting something out of her, three years, whatever you're doing. It doesn't matter whether she means well. If she believes, John, in repressed memory, uses a different dissociation, she can't fill in the holes, right? Does that right. make sense? Uh, you don't remember. Let me fill in the holes for you. Uh, did he push your head to you? Uh, where were you on the back bike path? It's filling in the holes. Does that make sense to anybody? I agree with you, Liz, and I. I, I mean, I, I, but I think it all goes to her deep investment in one, the nature of therapy, the nature of sexual abuse, and in this particular case, the idea that Jerry is guilty and that she didn't just see nine or ten accusers for years who were telling a bullshit story. No one wants to believe that, and so 
I, it's, I think it's the natural inclination of the of to use a, ther- a therapy term, the subconscious. It's like her subconscious is 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 helping her through this skepticism uh, because she wants to believe that this this can't be a fake story that no one would make a fake story because she would be able to figure it out because she's got I a great you? she's got a great BS detector. No one wants to believe that this is right. a fake story. No right. one, no one anywhere right. would like to believe that Jerry Sandusky is innocent, sitting in jail, and right. that those accusers are lying. No one wants to believe it because now everybody's been invested in the wrong thing ding 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 now um so so we go further in the conversation aj and we've got two clips here of her going um she's basically into um the mode of explaining in my interpretation why your story doesn't make all that much sense why it's difficult for you to tell and the nature of traumatic experiences, and this this goes, she's this is a constant theme for her in in her belief about how we treat traumatic experiences differently in our memory. And and here's what that sounded like. What I would say to you is it's not unusual for a traumatic experience to be remembered in that way. We, we lay down our memories, of, I think maybe I've said this before, our memories of trauma are laid down in our brain in a different way than just more ordinary experiences. So I could pretty much tell you a very <clears throat> linear uh, account of, you know, getting up this morning, getting ready. There's nothing that really happened. <laughs> out of the ordinary when I was doing that so I can sort of go through but moving and everything like that. It's not difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. A memory of say something like an automobile accident or something horrific that happens is often experienced in flashes, not in that linear way because the brain has more trouble comprehending and taking in those experiences. I got you. So it's not out of the norm that this happens. Not, not for memories and trauma, no. But I can understand that for you it feels very frustrating because you want to know, is my mind making this up? Or, or did something really happen to me? Right. Right? I mean, that's pretty much what I want to know, yeah. Um, what... So the part that you told me today did not sound foggy. No, because I put these, that's what I mean, I put it together. And And my own recollection outside of dreams. So you have some pieces that didn't come in dreams. Right. What are those pieces, do you think, can you say? Um, the park. Like I knew, I, I knew the the park because like I remembered that much, but I couldn't. I knew something bad happened, but I didn't. I didn't know what, and, and I would have these dreams, and the, the park would be in these dreams, but it would never be like the park and the views together. It would be. You'd have you'd have dreams of the abuse, mm-hmm. but not in context. Right in the context of the park yeah. and you you had a waking sense that something bad happened to you in the park but you didn't know what correct 
like in my in my dreams there would be woods there'd be like woods but it wouldn't necessarily be like it wouldn't necessarily be completely descriptive of the world so we've talked about dissociation and I guess I'll go again to that to try to explain this to you. Um, the, the mind <clears throat> has a lot of stuff built into it that helps protect it. And one of the things is dissociation, our ability to sort of disconnect when we're bored, say driving down the highway, that's it's called highway hypnosis, where you don't remember. <clears throat> you couldn't describe the last mile or ten miles in terms of what you've seen, right? Right. Everybody's had that experience. But even more important is the is the ability to protect from what to the mind can be an overwhelming experience. So things like being in combat and war, an automobile accident, being threatened in, say, a terrorist attack in a mall. You know, these are all outside the realm of ordinary, right? Right. So is rape, so is sexual assault. You know, anytime there's something that goes on that is um, really overwhelming in terms of being traumatically overwhelming. And I would say that that some of what you're describing certainly fits into that. Right. right. So, so the mind does what it does. It sort of <clears throat> forgets pieces, quote, forgets pieces, or chunks them up <laughs> so that you don't have to try to uh, take in the whole overwhelming thing. You cut it off before she says, does that make any sense? So the mind does what it does. It sort of <clears throat> forgets pieces, quote, forgets pieces, or chunks them up <laughs> so that you don't have to try to uh, take in the whole overwhelming thing. Does that make any sense? Uh, in a word, no. No. <laughs> it, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, and and let's, let's talk about why that what she just said there uh, doesn't make any sense. This idea that somehow, and, and let's use car accident as, the, as an example, because I think that's probably the best example that there is. Uh, I've, been in several, right. I've been in several car accidents uh, going all the way back to childhood. I, I uh, remember vividly being in the car accident. Now, could I tell you without deep research uh, exactly what time of year and what year? No, but I could probably do it eventually if I, mm -hmm. if I put the pieces together. I spent enough time doing it. But I know for a fact that they happened. And I know the nature of the car that they happened in. I know whether or not people got hurt. I, I, I mean, that doesn't leave your memory, Liz. I mean, are you, are you, I totally agree with you. I mean, I've had traumatic things happen to me and from the time I was very, very young. And I can't give you the details on them. I can't, but I know they right. happened. I know they happened. AJ, same with you? Not they. Yep. Maybe one or two. Maybe one thing. You know. But you don't mm -hmm. forget that it happened. Mm -hmm. you, you, might, mm -hmm. you might, by nature of, 
of the brain. You might not remember all the details. Part of it, you know, there could be something to the the brain protecting yourself, but you don't wipe it out completely. Mm-mm. And uh, and and what really bothers me there, AJ, and she does not express, at least not on that tape, any skepticism towards this at all. You bring in the idea that part of a huge part of how you decide that you're an abuse victim and how you, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, recall your details of abuse is through dreams, through dreams. Now, nobody, nobody believes that a dream is a reliable indicator of reality. And yet, so I didn't sense any skepticism towards your dream theory at all. Was there any? No, none. That, that, but that's partly because she she had said earlier that people can like how they lay it down is like either they recall it through dreams or they recall it something triggers it. Um, just at random, it could be the sound of a bell. It could be just, you know it's something that can trigger these memories. But otherwise, people forget like they not forget, but they don't. Okay. They don't but, bring it to their conscious mind, so to speak. But, you know, John, there's like, okay, so you, you don't think about something all the time, and then you'll hear a song, and it'll remind you of somebody, right? Okay. So that's true, okay, but, but not what she's saying. Not that you completely forget oh, them. It just brings it back to your consciousness. Right, and to extrapolate on that, Liz, mm-hmm. let's pretend you were abused by someone uh, fairly famous, Jerry Sandusky, right? And it was traumatic, mm-hmm. and you didn't want to think about it, right? Yeah. I get where you don't want to think about right. it. But if... It becomes a massive news story that he is being accused of child sex abuse and uh, the whole world is talking about it and your abuser is potentially going to be put away in prison for the rest of his life and not be able to abuse anyone else. I think you're probably going to realize, wow, yeah, I'm one of those guys. And maybe it'd be a good idea for me to talk to somebody. I mean, you're not going to forget Oh, wow, shit, I totally forgot I was abused by Jerry Sandusky. I completely forgot that time when when Jerry Sandusky told me to suck his dick. That just completely (laughs) slipped my mind. Um, Especially because it's so hard to talk about. So hard to talk about, I just forgot about it. It's it's absurd, and I got to tell you, I've, been, I've tried to be, I, I hope this comes across, I've tried to be as understanding as possible of where McNabb is coming from, but the idea that of her reliance on your dreams is, to me, that's game, set, match. Because, my God, dreams are bullshit. I mean, the, I mean and, and just to prove how much bullshit they are, you've told me, AJ, that in thinking about this for so long, and and having gone through the therapy and created this this concocted false story of abuse, you've even wondered whether it was possible you were abused by Jerry Sandusky. You have? <laughs> is that true? It's yeah. not funny. Is that true? Yeah. No, I'm not saying is it true you were. I'm saying is it true that you wondered? That. Like what? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, just the way therapy progressed. I mean, I really there was a point where I I told John I'm like John I can't do this anymore like. I'm I'm now having like like detailed visions or, or dreams where um uh, because I told this you know this story it was just messing with me so um but I continued to, to see her after after talking with John as well so 
But just to be um, just to be clear, just to be just to be clear, you know you were not abused by Jerry Zadusky, but this correct, pro- but or anybody else, or anybody else, because correct. you wonder. Okay, but 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 just to finish the point, you this process was such that all these sessions with her made you at least wonder whether it was possible. Correct. 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 That's okay. extraordinary. Well, I think it goes a long way to showing how corrosive the therapy process is to telling a true story because here's here's someone who knows it's a false story who starts to become convinced is it theoretically possible it's true well it goes to yes it goes to that but it goes to believing the victims the guys who say they were victims they could be exactly what aj right right they exactly they begin to believe themselves like dustin struble dustin struble according to mark pendergrass who interviewed him believes that this happened. He just can't remember it. And the reason why he's been able to justify it is Cynthia, Cynthia McNabb told him that his memories were repressed. And she gave him this whole, I guarantee she gave him the whole stamp, song and dance that she gave AJ. Wow. And, and Dustin's going, oh, wow, that makes sense. And oh, by the way, I'm now driving a souped up Mercedes Benz because of it, which is true. <laughs> um, so, so that helps. Um, you know, that helps a lot with the memory because uh, I've seen the car. It's spectacular. I mean, he, has, he has much better taste in sports cars than the, the rest of these victims, uh, Dustin does. All right. Now, a- AJ, um, Here's the last clip that kind of ends this session where, once again, she goes down this path that doesn't make a lot of sense, but then asks the question, does that make any sense? So I'm saying, what I'm saying to you is a couple of things. One, that if if some of the details of this are foggy, it's because your mind has been trying to protect you. Okay? Okay. I think what you can believe is, yeah, something bad did happen to you. It sounds like you have enough of that and the feelings that go with it, especially the shame and the anger. I don't think those feelings can be made up. Right. I think if your mind had sort of constructed this movie version of something, it wouldn't feel the way it feels to you when you try to talk about it. Does that make sense? Makes sense. <laughs> Did you really believe it made sense, AJ? No. <laughs> it didn't make sense. Okay, I just wanted to make sure you didn't really think that that made any sense. But she's she is really reaching. She's reaching for an explanation for why you told this story all these years into therapy, why the story doesn't make full sense. That's what, frankly, she should be asking is why your story doesn't make any sense. Uh, and, you know, how, right. it is, how it is that behind Joe Paterno's house in a park, you're giving Jerry Sandusky oral sex when you don't know what oral sex is in the middle of the day. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's just... <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. It's, uh, you know what's going to my mind is I keep wondering what a, what a therapist really does. Like, I, I've gone to therapy. I've gone to therapy so many times. I'm trying to remember, do they lead me? Do they, would they can, would they sort of try to push me into being a, you're really not telling the truth? I mean, like, do you get what I'm saying? Like a therapist, well, to is me, their job to analyze that? Or they, I, having been in therapy myself and never gotten much out of it. And you don't, much, honestly, my, I don't know what you get out of it. In the end, you just told your story enough times that maybe you released it. Well, for some people, my view is that therapists are paid to make you feel better about yourself. I mean, that's, that's essentially what the essence of this is. That is okay, now, except yourself. Now this, something like that. Right, but this is a mm-hmm. unique situation because, there, as we've already articulated, 
there's a lot going on here beyond just how someone feels about themselves. This this is about about money being taken from oh, Penn yeah. State, the criminal convictions, people's reputations, and all that. And and Cynthia McNabb, I mean, she does buy in. AJ, it should be. I guess yes. we should point this out. Yes. She buys in not just to the accusers. She buys in, and we don't have the clip of this, but but. I want you to to give us your recollection. She buys in totally, for the record, to the entire cover-up theory here and that the Penn State administrators should have been even more punished than they were. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Can you give us she a sense? Talk, she goes on to talk about, like, one of the things I remember is she talked about Spaniel Curley and Schultz should have to face, uh, pardon me, you could correct me on, on the on the word, but it's a paradigm. I think if I recall correctly, it's a South African paradigm. Apparently Nelson Mandela. Apartheid? Um, Is that what you're talking it, about? It apartheid? Huh? Apartheid? No, wait, continue. Apartheid. It's not making That's sense. It. It. Thank it's you a... for the correction. That's what I was referring to. Apartheid. He feels like those three should have to go through apartheid. <laughs> what? Okay, so... Wait a minute. All right, but regardless of what okay, word whatever. she used, but she, she believes that they were not punished enough, correct? Right. She does not believe they were punished enough. Um, in fact, uh, I confront her about it. I go, "Well, actually, Jerry Sandusky, for the same for the same one of the same convictions, got three to six months, so they got longer technically than Jerry did for the same charge. Although, to be clear, Jerry had multiple charges, so he got thirty to sixty. So I just wanted to clear that up." Okay, well, I, I, and that's not the, the path I would have gone down. The path I would have gone down is how can you possibly believe that this university was systematically uh, covering up for the child abuse of someone who didn't even work there anymore? I mean, <laughs> that doesn't make, right. any, doesn't make any damn sense. I mean, it, plus there's no evidence for it. But I, I think the reason why it's significant is it goes to how deeply her investment is and how willing is she is to believe anything with regard to this case, even though... Here she is uh, being uh, confronted by a story that makes absolutely no sense. And while she has some level of skepticism, she's buying it hook, line, and sinker. And, and, you, and she sees you for many, many years. And, right. uh, and, and that we just heard there in those five clips, you telling her a story that should have. I mean, AJ, if you were in her position and someone told you the story that you told her, what, what would your level of, of BS detector have been? I probably would have, would have, in a nice professional way, told the client, you're bullshitting me. <laughs> I don't know, though. You know, I don't. not a therapist, right? Not a therapist. Well, they're not equipped. Right. They're not equipped to do that. They're equipped to believe everything and anybody. Because uh, that's what makes the person feel whole. John, you right. just said it. Right. You said it. That's what right. a therapist is there for, to make you feel better about yourself. It's not your fault this happened to you, right? It's an idea. You can describe right. it. Let's move on. You know. Now, let, let's move on to uh, another clip where uh, she does express skepticism about a different client of Andrew Shubin's who she also gave therapy to, Matt Sandusky. <laughs> okay, now, so we're going to go. So, so that's from last week where we do the Matt Sandusky clip. I hope that fits. If it doesn't, we'll fix it up later. But that, that I did that as generically as possible. That was McNabb number two from last week. Then we supposedly did McNabb number three. I want to erase all of that. That whole McNabb number three. Not. Uh, I want to insert what we're about to do now with the "It's not your fault," and then we'll. Pick, oh, are we going to? It's not your fault. Uh, going? But but the 
So, so in other words, I'm going to, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have AJ tell the story of ending the sting operation. Uh, we're not going to play the clip because the, we don't have the audio that's proper, but I, I think it'll work. We'll set up the, it's not your fault. And then we'll use last week's close. So, ab- so everything we do after McNabb three from last week is still valid. Okay. Does that make sense? All right. Okay, so AJ, did you ca- catch that? What I'm going to do here is I'm going to talk about ending the sting, and we're going to talk about how you uh, apparently told her you weren't a victim and, and what her reaction was to that, okay? Okay. All right. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. So this goes on for a little over three years. You're seeing Shubin. You're, you're seeing McNabb. And the uh, Newsweek story is supposedly coming out. And we're told by Newsweek to start shutting this thing down because we're anticipating this being a major part of a cover story for Newsweek magazine. This would have been in early 2018. And as part of the process for shutting down the sting, we, we you, you decide, or actually I suggested to you, because I was, I was like, hey, let's go for, for pay dirt here and see what happens. I suggested that you tell her that you finally concluded that you're not actually a victim of Jerry Sandusky and see uh, what she says about that. And, and so tell us, AJ, based upon your recollection. Now, we don't have the clip here for reasons that I'm not 100% sure of. It appears to be a technical problem. We have all this audio and we can't find the right clip. But you have a very strong recollection of this, and you told me about this contemporaneously. So, so tell us the story of what happens when you decide to tell Cynthia McNabb, you know what, I wasn't really abused by Jerry Sandusky. Not that this was a sting, but that you've just decided, you know what, after going through all this therapy, I realized that that my memories aren't real. Tell us about that. Um, she. So I'm I'm talking to her about you know uh, telling her that my story isn't real. Uh, not. Isn't real, but my uh, I told her like I don't think I was abused by Jerry Sandusky, and um, she pretty much her her exact words were, "Well, that's what a lot of abuse victims would say." So she was just kind of shocked by that. Like I'm telling her that hey, I don't feel that I was abused. I wasn't abused, and she's like, "Well, that's what a lot of abuse victims would say," and I was just I just couldn't. Couldn't really wrap my head around that one. I'm like, well, then, so there's no out. There's It doesn't matter if somebody tells you they don't feel they were abused or it doesn't matter if they straight tell you that they weren't abused, they were abused because that's what abuse victims would say. So I, I just I just couldn't get my head around that one. Well, it, it reminds but me, that, it reminds me, I don't know, you, you're probably a little too young for this. I don't know about your movie taste, Liz, but it reminds me of... Uh, uh, the Monty Python film Life of Brian, where uh, Brian is thought to be the Messiah, and he finally uh, screams at the crowd, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Messiah. There's a pause, and then one of the followers says, only the true Messiah <laughs> denies his divinity. So therefore, you are the Messiah. Uh, that, that's effectively the same uh, phenomenon here, that there's no way out, right, AJ? Right. There, there, there's no way out, and I was just like that. That, that is a pivotal moment in the entire thing, for the simple fact. I'm like, oh my gosh, there is nothing, and absolutely nothing we can do if somebody that's blatantly saying, hey, I wasn't abused, 
is an indication that they were abused. Like, I just don't understand how we can get anywhere with with, with uh, understanding sexual abuse victims better, you know. So we're um, like to know more about the... them justice and good therapy. I'd like to know more about the other victims who said they weren't abused to her. Well, I want to know where the hell's the audio? Where the hell's the audio of that, AJ? <laughs> yeah. Where is it? I, I, it's okay. I mean, it's going to take me a minute to find it. A minute? Like we've said, we've been spending steps. weeks trying to find this damn thing. I've been spending hours listening to you do, do therapy yeah, for years to trying to find the damn audio. I believe it because you've sent me hundreds uh, of hours of stuff somewhere in that range. But uh, it's it's been a great source of frustration that this particular clip, which, again, I believe because of our experience over all these years together to be true. And it certainly fits with everything else we know, but we, we do, we have not yet found that audio clip. If we do uh, in the future, we will uh, provide it in a, in a later version of the podcast. But I did think that story was important enough to at least tell. Oh, it's very important. Now, now, absolutely. And, and so, so let's finish up Cindy McNabb with, with a, with a long clip. This might be the longest clip uh, of her that we have. Um, because she deals with a lot of different things here. She talks in remarkable detail about her experiences with the Sandusky accusers, probably inappropriately so. Of course, you know, I don't think she ever thought that this was going to be made public. Um, but to be clear, once again, we've, we've already referenced this, but you made it uh, um, very known to her at the beginning of your sessions that you were recording, correct, AJ? That's absolutely correct. I let her know that because I have a tough time remembering things, and I thought it would be beneficial towards our therapy. Right, and and the phone was always out in in full view. Uh, the audio is yes. cl- the audio is clearly good enough to where that's obvious, and and uh, so this begins with her assuring you that it's not your fault. It's not your fault that you're uh, essentially that your story uh, wasn't told immediately and, you know, it took so long to come out and has uh, so many uh, you know potential problems with it. But the more important part of this is as it moves along and she starts talking about one, her general philosophy of this issue and this case and specifically the Sandusky uh, accusers themselves. And here's what that sounded like. And that's not going to move him forward. You're not crazy because you didn't remember it. You need to know that. I, I must be crazy no. if I didn't remember it. No, you're not. You were trying to protect yourself. And it's not a defense that you, you chose to have, but it's the way that our, it's, it's the way that we deal with overwhelming trauma. Mm. And that's been shown over and over and over again. So I don't know if that's what's bugging you when you, because you, you've asked that question a number of times. You've asked about how do I, you know, why didn't I remember? And it seems to be, it, it seems to be troubling you with that question. I, I'm just trying to say to you, that's that's one of the ways that we deal with trauma. Yep, that's kind of fault. I, I get that, but that's that's my fault then. No. Yes, it is. Absolutely not. Yes, it is. Because I neglected to say anything, I neglected to do anything, and therefore I neglected to get my own justice for myself and, and, and as well as, you know, giving somebody a fair shot to defend themselves. Because I neglected to remember. 
because I did that, there's, there's really no justice. There's no justice for me and there's no justice for the individual for well, harm. I don't, because I, I should have remembered. I should have said something and I didn't. And at the end of the day, the fact is, I, I obstructed justice. That's what I did. I obstructed justice because I simply did not speak up. And I can't, I can't, I can't make excuses or blame, blame anybody for that other than myself because I should have, I should have remembered. I, I, I should have done something, told it somebody or whatever. You know, that's just what it is. Aaron, you, you were a kid. It doesn't matter. It doesn't it does matter. matter. It, it, no, it doesn't. Because that's just making excuses. Everybody in my life has told me don't make excuses for things. That They'd be like saying, well, I didn't yeah. mean to lie. I was just a kid. No, I, no, I didn't no, mean to no, hit that no, teacher. I was just no, a kid. No, we... There are some things in life that are choices and some things are not, that are not. And I think it's very important for you to be able to distinguish what what is a choice and what is not. When you talk about psychological defenses like that, it is they are not choices. They are something that kicks in automatically the same way that when you see something terribly frightening, your heart rate increases. You can't control that. It's an automatic response. It's the part of your brain that, that deals with threat, basically. And that's, an, that's a pretty primitive part of your brain. The part of your brain that deals with problem solving and rational thinking is not online for that. So I see, I mean yesterday I was driving and a deer ran right out in front of my car. I missed it by, it felt like that much. You know, I respond to that. I slam on the brakes, I, you know, you know, my heart rate's up, I'm immediately kind of stressed out. Yep, but today you didn't forget that deer. No, but if I had been, people, this is, this is, there's data for this. In certain, in, in situations, especially when you're young, that are overwhelming, people do forget. Hmm. So. And I've talked to, I've talked to quite a few guys who were abused by Jerry Zandusky, and this is the case pretty much for all of them. They forget. Not really, because it's kind of back there, kind of back there. So, did you, like, did you help them remember, or did you help them help? Some of them remembered on their own, like you did, eventually, as more, in, in more adult. And I talked to a guy yesterday who, he's uh, in his 20s, and he, he didn't remember until, Mm, within the last six months, I would say, and he was like eight or nine when it happened. Here's a Sandusky victim? Yeah. Eight or nine? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. And he said, I mean, his life was kind of, is pretty much a mess, you know, and um, he said, oh, I, I never made the connection. I knew something wasn't right. But I mean, he was doing all kinds of things to numb the pain of that. Knew something wasn't right, but it wasn't until just fairly recently that he kind of made that, those connections. Oh yeah, that's the thing. I don't think he's remembered all of it. I'm pretty sure he's not remembered all of it. So you're not alone in this. You really need to know that.
Yeah. And you need to not blame yourself because that adds, that adds suffering to the suffering. Was was he in court? Uh, I, I don't want to say anymore. Uh, I don't want to say. Anymore. Was he in court at the tr- at the trial? No. Oh. No, because he I asked because I wasn't. So I was just curious. You, you weren't one of the people who testified. Right. No, he didn't testify. In fact, yeah, he he didn't testify because it, it's now. I mean, it's, it's how many years? Six years out. Seven years out. Five or six years after the trial. How many of these individuals have you seen other than me? Uh, I, I don't know, I'd have to do a quick count. Including the group members, over 10. Over 10. Mm-hmm. So you got pretty big, like, caseload. So you well, deal with a lot of the, them to, to uh, understand. Over the years, over the years, over the years. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. And the stories are remarkably similar. So... Even with mine? What do you mean? What do you mean? Like, a, mean? Are, are you saying they're similar to what I? Do? I'm saying the stories that there are, there are many similarities in the, what happened to people and the way they dealt with it. And most didn't remember. Some didn't remember. Some did, but put it out of their minds. I'm not gonna think about that. Didn't tell anybody. Nobody told anybody. Well, except the one, and the eight person who wasn't believed. For the 88, you said? 98. 98? Well, the one, you know, the one that went to Child Protective Services and they did an interview and they said, oh, Yeah, they didn't believe him? Well, they be- that's not right. I, they deemed that there wasn't anything to investigate. That nothing, there was a gray area or something like that. I mean, you, you know about that one. That one was publicized. So they all have similarities with what I've expressed with you. Yes, yes. Wow. Remarkable. Let me use that term. That is remarkable. If Jerry Zandusky ever gets a new trial, I really hope that that is played uh, very early on because through that clip, the proper context of that clip, I think, exposes the entire case. And so let's let's go through it. Um, first of all, she says, let's put aside the, the whole traumatic. You know what? Let's not put it aside. Let, let's one more time. Let's talk about the traumatic experience thing, because, Liz, you made a great comment, which I thought was was both funny and, and very prescient about. What impact it would have on real life if this was true? If if we all went around having no idea that we'd experienced <laughs> traumatic things, right? How how dis? I mean, we're already dysfunctional as a society. How dysfunctional would things be? It, I mean, you just that doesn't happen. Our minds don't make us forget. We couldn't live our lives. There's a reason why children only touch a hot stove. Exactly. Once. once. You do it once because you don't forget. Right. If we did have, if life really that was like, sense. if life was like Cynthia McNabb says, we would all constantly We'd be going. We'd be burning ourselves all the time, John. <laughs> we would walk around, we'd be burning our hands constantly. Right. And O.J. Simpson would be married like 18 times yeah. because no one would have any hesitation no. whatsoever. When somebody, I mean, yeah. when somebody slaps I mean, you silly, you'd forget. Right. So, I mean, okay, so I... it's absurd. That, but let's talk about the Penn State part of this. So she says there 
She acknowledges that she has treated over 10 of these guys. Over 10. If you include the group sessions. Now, we know, we know of those 10 are uh, victim number two, victim number three, Victim number seven and victim number ten. Okay, that's that's a huge. That's the, you blow out the entire freaking trial if 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 these guys are not legitimate. And she says, "quote For pretty much all of them, they forgot. For pretty much all of them, they forgot." And uh, right. and, and, and and which which then in, brings in the specter of. You know, just like Dustin Struble, is she helping them remember? Now she says some remembered on their own, but I love this that all the stories are remarkably similar. Right. But well, guess what they all have in common? Andrew Shubin. They all come from right. Andrew Shubin, who we already know we have on tape. You created. He created your story. So if he did Correct. it for he if, did. if so if he did it for you, did he not do it? For all these other guys that came to her whose stories are, quote-unquote, remarkably similar. And then, as if it can't get any better, she talks about this brand-new Sandusky accuser who I don't even know who this is, right? Right. My guess is, my guess is I would like to believe this is someone who, like you, never actually got a payout because he came too late. Who knows? It sounds like he also might have been outside the statute of limitations. I'm not sure. But the claim is, I just talked to someone who just realized six months ago that they were abused, even though they're in, oh no, I guess they were in the statute of limitations. They're in their 20s now. But back when they, they were eight or nine, eight or nine, they were abused by Jerry Sandusky. They had no memory of it until recently. It just kind of hit them that something in their life wasn't right. In the history of mankind, there has never been a case of repressed memory that so many different people from different walks of life have forgotten well, something. Well, magic dust that Jerry Sandusky yeah. had. <laughs> Men but, in black, but, you but, know, when they right. quiet your mind. But, but this, is, this is important. I want to go down this, this story further because I think this is the core of what really happens here in a lot of these cases. She says, quote, his life is pretty much a mess. And then clearly she implies he's doing a lot of drugs, right? So it sounded like uh, right, to me. Right. right. He's doing a lot of drugs. Because okay? he does something to numb the pain. Uh, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so let's go through what really happens here in a rational world. If, if, if her BS detector is even on at all, what really happens here is this guy fucked up his life. He's He's a drug addict. He's in his 20s. He's got no job. He, he probably has a, uh, kids with a baby mama that he's not married to, divorced, paying alimony, whatever. His life is shit. And he was a second mile, plausibly, a second mile kid who realizes, you know what? Gee, my life would be make a hell of a lot more sense, and it'd be a hell of a lot better going forward if I was abused by Jerry Sandusky. Or if I could I, get money. Drug abusers well, are, are yeah. you know, addicts right. are, are, well, you know, that's right. the pattern. They want money, and they do, they'll do lie to get it. But this is late in the process. This is at least 2000. And this is like 2017, right? I mean, this is this is right. very late in the process. So, it, 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 so, if he's, so at best, at best, this guy's 
remembering in 2016, four years plus after Jerry is convicted, that he was abused at a time period, which, by the way, doesn't fit with anybody else's story. There's nobody else who's eight or nine years old. Right. No one. No right. one. Well, he doesn't your, know. He doesn't right. know because he's like everyone else. No one, no, one, no one else in this entire story is eight or nine. And so she doesn't go, wait a minute, hold on. All these stories are remarkably similar except for this eight or nine year old. <laughs> uh, and she doesn't, she doesn't see, she doesn't see the inherent motive, which I cannot tell you how strongly I believe this played in all of this. These guys are from at risk homes. Their lives are shit. Many of them. There's nothing a human being wants more other than money. They want money and they want an excuse for why they fucked up their life. And being abused by Jerry Sandusky solves all of that instantaneously. Instantaneously, your money problems are gone. And instantaneously, you have an excuse for everything that's ever happened in your and life. And everything you do. Right. Everything. Oh, it's okay. He's, you know, he was sexually abused by Jerry Sandusky. And then, and, and then she says to AJ, you're not alone in this, yeah, AJ. Uh, and it doesn't matter. You, it doesn't matter if you're alone or not alone. That comment to me was like, what does it matter? Because she's, anyway. she's trying right. to make you feel better about why your story sucks. Yes, that's why. Right? Right. I mean, it, it, and, and yeah. what are you thinking as she's doing this? I'm just like, when she said the similarities, similarities between you and other stories, I'm like, wow, that's game changing because I'm freaking sitting here bullshitting you this whole time. And if my similar, my, my story's similar, then they're all bullshit. If you're buying mine, they're all bullshit because you can't determine who's telling the truth and who's not. So they have to be bullshit by default. Like there's Well, there's, log logically, it doesn't prove that they're all bullshit, but it certainly raises the specter right. that they could all be bullshit. But, but um, it is important to point out that she clearly in that clip believes you. I mean, she she doesn't forget yeah. about. There's no skepticism. She's so in, so believing you. She's going out of her way to try to make you feel better about why your story might not be believable. Right. I mean, she is. She absolutely is. She's she. You could hear it in her tone. What she says. She's absolutely uh, believing my story. You know, in the sense of. Um, and being supportive in that in that sense. And then there's one other aspect from a substantive standpoint, Liz, that I think is really important. And I, it, it happens constantly. We've seen it with Shubin. We, we've seen it with uh, uh, Ira Lupert, where people who are at the center of this story have no concept of the actual facts. She point, pins point, pinpoints one accuser who said something contemporaneously. By the way, that's actually fairly accurate. She references the 1998 accuser, victim number six. Then she says he wasn't believed in 1998. Now, you picked up on this, AJ. You were like, wasn't believed? What, what, what do you yeah. mean he wasn't believed? He was absolutely, he didn't say anything happened. He, so, so, right. so, what do you mean he wasn't believed? In other words, he wasn't sent to the right people to get him to say something different than what I he was actually I didn't saying. Catch that. He 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 was absolutely believed. He yeah. said nothing happened. He said he got picked up in a shower. That was it. And he was believed. And the DA said there's not enough evidence to make a charge here. This is determined to be unfounded. And she references, I love this. This might be my my underrated line in that entire uh, eight minute or seven minute clip, whatever it is. She says well, it was determined to be in a gray area. What? 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 What the f 
gray area. There was there was no. He said there was no abuse. The DA said there was no abuse. The 1998 accuser continues on with an 18 year relationship with Terry Sandusky after this. Actually, not 18. It was a 13 year 13 year relationship after this, uh, where where he's sending Father's Day messages. Uh, where I love you. Where, where's the gray area? If that if that is the gray area, then 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 we're completely all screwed. Uh, and 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 for the record, victim number six, uh, uh, Zach, uh, ends up getting the least amount of money of all the trial accusers from Penn State because he had the audacity to tell the truth, to not lie. <laughs> all right, right, to not lie. Wow. Okay, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. he got the least amount of money by far because he stuck with basically. Now he he. He made it more nefarious on the edges, and he gave the prosecution what they wanted. But considering the pressure he was under and the motivations he had, it's absolutely remarkable that he stuck to his basic story, which was in 1998, there was no actual sexual abuse. And the proof of this is the jury's, I believe, their only question, I know it was by far their most uh, important question, to the judge during deliberations was, effectively, if we don't believe victim six was sexually abused, can we still convict Sandusky? Wasn't this the case, though? Or wasn't this right. a grooming type thing? Grooming right. question, they, right? Right. So in other words, what the and the judge said, yeah, sure, knock yourself out. Yeah, the, ju- <laughs> um, the judge is beautiful. Right. So knock yourself out. And, and it was that, that moment that Joe Amendola knew it was over. He didn't have the, the, the heart to tell uh, Dottie and Jerry Sandusky, but he knew that if the jury is asking that question and the judge is giving them that answer, this thing is over with. And and we're hosed, but uh, but the but the reality is that if they if if it's true that uh, what they I I believe here's what I think happened I believe that the jury decided to your point Liz that this was a grooming act that he intended to sexually abuse Jerry Sandusky. I mean, Jerry That's exact I think can right. believe that right that that, there, that this was a an act of grooming where Jerry intended to commit sex abuse, but never actually got around to it. And, and you so, know, and, or and, stopped because he got caught as he was doing it. And then you know? I guess that the 13-year uh, relationship person. afterwards was cover. That was a cover. That was an elaborate cover for the fact that he got caught trying to abuse Zach, but never actually abusing him. So that's that's what the basis of the convictions in the 1998 case were. But um, so I was I was astonished. AJ, were, were you also astonished by by Cynthia McNabb's view of the 1998 case? Yeah, but I also understood it because uh, she referenced in one of our meetings, and I kind of tore up over it. Uh, her her partner of that of that place, that house slash uh, therapy area, is shared with Alicia Chambers, and. We got into it about, well, you know, yes, I get Alicia did it, did this 98 accuser, but um, it went unfounded. And I go, if it went unfounded, it didn't happen. And then she called me out on that. I was like, no, I'm not saying it didn't. Like, an unfounded report can doesn't mean that an abuse didn't happen, but it's not something you can hold somebody accountable to because it went to Harrisburg, and Harrisburg decided to pass it on to Ray Greekar. And Ray Greekar is the one that needs to make the decision on the charges, and he neglected to. So that means that what I was telling her is it didn't happen. Uh, so we had another conversation about the 98. Okay, well, hold on. You said something important there, though. So she has a relationship with... with Chambers, the therapist who evaluated the 98 situation? 
Yes. In fact, it was Alicia Chambers, um, Janet McCracken, and her that were considering putting me in this group. Well, mainly Janet and, and Cynthia wanted me in the group. Uh, but Alicia's chamber's door was downstairs, and me and Cynthia met upstairs. And this was the the group sessions that you were originally going to be involved with, but then were told by Cynthia McNabb that you were too angry to actually take part in. Correct. And and so they have a so she has a professional relationship with the therapist who evaluated the 1998 situation. Right. And I even told her, you have a biased view. I was like, you're saying that because she works with you. And she acknowledges that Alicia Chambers worked with her. And I said, but the police have a job to do, and they can't, you know, if they did their job. Well, she's like, then she kind of made a sexist statement. She's like, well, it shouldn't have even been a male that evaluated that 98 case. And I call her on her. I'm like, you're, you're being sexist. I said, why? She's like, well, a female would have been better qualified since it was male and male abuse. Now, to tell some degree, somebody we could we could accept that, but no, no, know, no, we can't was, accept whoa, that. Whoa, that's we a, do that's not a, accept that. That's a big problem. Yeah, that, yeah that's that, that's, that's an actually issue. that's fascinating. Let's rem- let's remind people what happened in '98. There were two evaluations, neither of whom, by the way, interviewed Jerry Sandusky. Let's be clear about that. Uh, there was right. a, there was Chambers, who was the female. And then there was a male whose name is escaping me at the moment. Um, But the male said he did not see an indication that this was an episode of child sex abuse. Chambers said that she thought that it was. Now, that's fascinating to me that you that McNabb told you that Chambers should have been the one that was listened to because she's a female. And I think that should it should have nothing to do with it. Well, I agree that it should have nothing to do with it, but I actually believe it should be the opposite. Right. And we talked about this, John, how women and men see this differently. This is a big issue. This is maybe possible. This is is a core issue for why this story got sideways. And I know it's I'm sure it sounds sexist when I say it because I'm a male, but it, it cannot be underestimated how many females are key to how this story evolves. Sarah Gannam, uh, Jessica Dersham, uh, Janelle Eschbach, uh, uh, Linda Kelly, the AG, uh, Cynthia McNabb, Chambers, the, the therapist in the 98 case. These are all It sounds women. sexist, okay? You want to make your point, and then I'm going to tell you I'm tell you something about it. Well, I just to make the point okay, again. Okay, so it's terrible. It sounds sexist. It's like you're saying the women are pushing this through. But you and I had a big conversation about how women sort of may see this differently, right? So I ran it past my mom and my brother, my mm-hmm. older brother and my mom, and I started talking to them about showering with boys, and this is a you know football situation or a blah, blah, blah. And you know, my, my mother saw it one way, shouldn't be showering with boys. My brother, right, said, Oh no, we the coaches were around. We did things like that. That was ordinary. Right. Wait a minute, mom. Mm-hmm. Liz might be right. Wait, wait, mom. Liz might have a point. Not Liz might be right, but you know that kind <laughs> of thing. I don't think it was like that kind of thing. But I think he was. My brother was far more willing to accept who wrestled and played football and did all this. Was far more willing to accept that it was acceptable to go into a shower with an adult man, and right. it wasn't that unusual. And they were in high school. Well, there's there's two mm-hmm. elements to this, and you hit on one of them, which is important. One, there's this the cultural aspect of the sports, which women won't get in most cases most women women are not they've never been in a male you have been because you're a sportscaster but most women have never been in a male locker room and don't understand that nature of the culture that's an important element of this but i think it goes deeper than that because i think that the women in this situation 
all viewed this as what would be the situation if they yeah. were abused by an older man in a Correct. in a heterosexual situation and i understand that and i respect it but let's be clear let's say a a, a, te- a young teenage girl is in a situation uh, where she is being uh, uh, assaulted or abused by an um, an older man she is at a huge disadvantage physically number one number two there's not the inherent biological fight or flight instinct that a heterosexual boy will have in a situation with a a male making that uh that uh, abuse on him in other words a teenage boy <laughs> is going to freak out at the first sign of anything that weird to a degree that I don't think that a woman can fully understand or appreciate. Maybe, maybe. But I think what a woman will do is we should look into, like, wait, wait a minute, what? You showered with that? Let's, let's investigate this. We should talk about this. Right. I think that's the right response. The sure. right response immediately right. is absolutely. Let's, wait a minute, you showered with a guy? Wait a minute, what? Is that appropriate? It doesn't sound appropriate at all. Right. It doesn't sound appropriate okay, but, at all. But, but there is... It, it, but the investigation I, I, was done. Again, just... I well, don't can I point out something? Because this is, this is real, real life experience. So I wrestled for, uh, in high school for a little bit before I broke my arm. And uh, they would shower in communal showers because the high school had a communal shower. So when you were done wrestling, you went to the showers, you got on the late bus and went home. Everybody was in there naked. Now, me personally, I, I just... I would shower a few times, um, you know... Throughout throughout the wrestling season, but most of the time I go home because like I, I just I never felt comfortable showering in in any communal shower, regardless of gender. Of right. course, okay. but and I, okay, and again, I, I don't want to overdo this, but I also don't want to leave this hanging without fully explaining where I'm coming from on the biological element of this. There's a bias. A woman, just simply from an anatomical standpoint. A male and a female are in, are are made biologically to fit together in some way that is more logistically plausible than the acts that are being alleged. Some of them in the Jerry Sandusky situation, especially with a heterosexual teenage boy. I mean, AJ, if your story had been real at the age of thirteen, and Jerry Sandusky mm-hmm. had asked you to suck his dick. What would your real world reaction have been to that? Knowing knowing my past, knowing my character, I would have probably assaulted him. Yeah, I mean, would have hit him. anything. Yeah, but yeah. everyone can assume they're going to do okay, a certain but, thing. Okay, but 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 a woman, but again, I'm not criticizing women as a gender. A woman doesn't un, hasn't had a woman doesn't have a penis. I'm sorry to to uh, break this uh, to people, but a woman does not have the organ that is at the central point of all these allegations and they don't have a penis when they're in their sixties and have no testosterone and no balls. And that doesn't fucking work. I mean, I mean, and and they're, and they're being accused of of anally assaulting teenage boys who are heterosexual. That's it's a, it's a preposterous allegation. If you're a male, a female isn't going to fully understand that to use Cindy McNabb's phrase. Does that make sense, Liz? 
You know, John, you're making a lot of sense to me. Okay. But I never right. thought about it like right, that. Right, because you don't have a penis. Until I mean, so, you brought it up. So, and then I started so bringing it up to... That's why you didn't think about it like that. Right, but then I started you know, bringing it up to... That's fair. Right, I started bringing it up to people I trust would give me the right opinion, and those those are my brothers, and at least one of them said, yeah, that's, you know... It, it, we showered with the coaches sometimes. It, it, right. it that doesn't that's right. not that crazy what you're saying. Well, I do find it, and this is actually new information to me, AJ. I find it fascinating that uh, McNabb believed that a woman would have to be the person to evaluate uh, this situation, and, and even into your why would to, she say such a well, thing? but even to your recollection, AJ, she even says to the point because it was male on male sex, that in her that makes right. no sense. Then in, in her mind, a male is disqualified why? because I guess of homophobia, right? Well, no, more so because like if you're having somebody who's a male be your abuser, just like I think the the mindset of um, if a woman who was abused by a male were to have a male, and there is there is a lot of this. They do this a lot in in counseling. They separate the sex. So if you you were the sex that abused the person, they don't really want you to be counseled by the same sex that might have abused you. Um, but you, John, point out a great point as well, and I don't think many people think of this. Is is that you know uh, since this was too. Well, it was claimed to be two uh, guys, a guy on guys, I am a teenager, um, of of female in this case. Um, I don't know. If if the stories were true, I I honestly don't know how to feel who I'd make the decision if if it was me making any decision on um, who I would send the person to. I'd probably send it to a a female myself. Well, no, but I get, I, I get, I get. Uh, and Matt Sandusky has has flipped all over on this, by the way. I get that uh, for certain men, telling a woman of real abuse would be easier than telling a man. I get that. Right. I f- fully appreciate that. And so I'm not saying women shouldn't be involved in the process. I'm just saying that women shouldn't be the only I disagree with just- you. I don't know if that's the case. Because you, you can make the argument that a guy might be more willing to tell another guy, look, he asked me to you know, do this. They might be more graphic. I don't think so. I don't think so. You think Maybe. I don't- that's just homophobia, no, then. No, no I think, I think uh, in my experience... Uh, I I would be uh, much more willing to talk to a woman about any kind of vulnerabilities than I would another man. Uh, I mean, I, I I just and I think that that's probably not an uncommon. Well, then you then that's what Cynthia McNabb thinks. No, but but she's not understanding the larger picture of how how right. she can't eva- properly evaluate whether a story is bullshit because her BS detector that she has great confidence in clearly doesn't work, as, AJ. as, as AJ's <laughs> story proves. All right, so let's move on now to how this sting operation after several years finally ended, not in the way that we really wanted, but at least in a way that does verify the validity of the effort. Well, as we discussed earlier, the statute of limitations on a civil claim end at 30 in Pennsylvania. However, she had been educated me that on at 50, you have till your age of 50 to make a criminal complaint. So because the statute of limitations ran on the civil, his strategy is if I make a criminal complaint, which means I'd have to report to the police or the attorney general or whoever, then me bringing about a claim then would follow the statute of limitations on criminal, 
thus maybe pressuring Penn State into paying me anyway. So this is key. So, in other words, Shubin is determined, you know what, I can't help you get any money from Penn State because of the statute of limitations on civil cases. But if you file a criminal complaint, then you might be able to get some money because Penn State would feel at least some semblance of pressure. Right? Right. Okay. Now, and this is important to, to how these these uh, loose ends get tied up here in preparation for, for the Newsweek uh, situation, which unfortunately ends up blowing up at the last moment. But, but Shubin and this is bizarre to me, sends you a letter about this situation confirming in very clear detail what he's doing here with regard to you and a criminal complaint against Jerry Sandusky. Here is the letter to to you. He writes, As we discussed, any civil claim that you have is beyond the statute of limitations, which in Pennsylvania expires at age 30 in child sex abuse claims. As a result... I've made the difficult decision not to accept representation of your potential civil claim against Penn State, Jerry Sandusky, or others. I am grateful for all that you've shared with me and acknowledge that doing so was not easy. I am also supportive of your decision to reach out to the police to discuss what occurred to you. The statute of limitations on criminal side has not yet run. To that end, I have spoken with Deputy Attorney General Laura Ditka. Now, Laura Ditka was the woman who, who prosecuted Graham Spanier, by the way. She's also right. the, the niece of Mike Ditka, and she's also passed away uh, recently. Right. Uh, Laura Ditka, who, was a, who has a role in overseeing child sex abuse cases in that office, she advised me that she would reach out to Trooper Sassano, that's Anthony Sassano, yeah. the main detective in the Sandusky case, to let him know to expect to hear from you. I provided you his contact information via a February 15, 2018 email that he sent to AJ directly. Thank you again for giving me an opportunity to review your claim and sharing your story with me. I wish you the best in your contacts with the state police. Trooper Sassano has a great deal of experience communicating with Sandusky and other child sex abuse victims. I am confident he will treat you with dignity and professionalism. Now, that to me was uh, very significant on a bunch of fronts. For one, obviously it means for 100% that Shubin believes the claim because he's, he's, he's telling you to go ahead and make this criminal complaint against Jerry Sandusky. By the way, he's portraying it as your idea. But that wasn't your idea, was it, AJ? No. Whose idea was it? It was Andrew Shubin's. But he's claiming in this letter that it was your idea. Right. And, and there was another email that he references in that letter to you, giving you Anthony Sassano's contact information, right? Right. Now, how did you interpret that letter? Uh, I just I, I just thought as wow this is this is gonna get heavy in regards to if I make this criminal complaint because I I, I don't want to do it because I would be setting myself up for perjury and then I thought well nobody's doing vetting anyways but then again you know whatever but it, it almost was like he's trying to take the pressure off of himself a little bit um 
and 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 in the form of believing me, that's why he would do it and present it in that fashion. Well, and, and I I understand that you saw it in, in in significance from the standpoint of okay, what am I going to do about this? I mean, I knew you were never going to file a criminal complaint. To me, the significance right. To me, the significance of this was wow. Um, one, he really believes you. Two. Uh, the connection to the attorney general's office. He's basically now doing for the attorney general's office what he does for Ross Feller Casey. I mean, here, here he is. He's feeding the attorney general's office in in what feels like collusion, right? Is I mean, it, is that what you think of this? AJ, isn't isn't that how you interpreted it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's definitely in in that sense of when you start looking at these 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 indirect connections yeah he's he's definitely colluding with them because he's presenting me as this as to them like why would you do that if you doubted my story at all but you wouldn't. but also i mean think about the willingness uh, all these years later there's not going to be another criminal case there's no criminal case against jerry sandusky he's in prison for the right. rest of his life so and he so, says that. And so so in so clearly these you know, Ditka and Sasano are effectively willing to act as and I don't know how conscious they are of this, but they're willing to act as vehicles for pressure against Penn State in a in a yeah. in a money grab. I mean, because there's no criminal there is no criminal case. And and so to me, I found it I don't want to overplay it, but I, I found it significant again. One Shubin clearly believes him. He's willing. This is how far they're willing to go to try to milk money out of Penn State. Uh, and once again, I go back to the everyone thinks someone else is vetting them. Once AJ goes to Sasano, if he were to do this, and to Ditka, he's already got the the stamp of approval because he right. has he's been he's gone through the Shubin factory. And the, and the Cynthia McNabb factory. And they've already, that factory has already produced at least nine other Sandusky accusers. So, Liz, you don't see that. No, because I, at this point, everyone's been paid out. The trial's over, everything. So I don't understand what the point of going back to them is. Is it? The, I don't understand the, it at all. The point is, if there's a criminal complaint, in theory, and that makes some publicity, because there, there would be publicity surrounding that, Penn State may have an incentive to make that go away and oh, may pay, pay some, months, pay some bad, money. Bad, bad publicity. Right. Because so, that is Penn State's motive, we, we, we think, right. right? Like, you would avoid, get this out of the way as fast as you can, pay right. everybody off, move on. But okay, if, so it's to manufacture some bad publicity. Right, so that Penn State might say, okay, go There's away. There's another complaint. You know, it makes it to the news. Like, Ira Lupert's going to say, okay, I want, and I'm just, you know, this is too much okay. of a pain in the ass. Here's here's $250,000, go away. Right. I mean, that, right. Th- that, that was the plan. That's now, what you thought, Now, AJ. to be clear, to be clear, we, okay. that, yeah. that was never pursued because, one of concerns about legality and two because we were shutting this down because we thought the Newsweek article was going to happen at any moment uh, yes and I'm happy to hear exactly you didn't do anything we illegal doing. true correct yeah. uh, I'm sorry AJ what were you saying oh I'm sorry I, I was just I was just confirming because I was also prepping for that Newsweek uh, story myself so all right so unfortunately Newsweek bails at the last minute and we're left with this amazing story with all this audio tape, all this documentation, emails, letters from Shubin, 
you know, insurance company records. I mean, we've got the whole thing nailed and nowhere to go with it until uh, this podcast. And and AJ, you know, this has been a, quite a ride. Uh, you know, what, what, I mean, from a personal standpoint, what what has this been like for you going through all this? If I could put it in one word, torture, mental torture, um, disappointed, sad that, you know, this could happen. And it's also been an educational experience to learn that this is how easy it is to make a claim and destroy somebody's life over alleged sex crimes. And the injustice it does to real victims because of their, you're left to question, well, you know, when another one comes up, were they abused or not? So I think there there definitely needs to be funding and more research around all sorts of sexual abuse, child sexual abuse, rape, you know, all forms of sexual assault. Um, and as I told Cynthia McNabb, women doing all the work isn't isn't enough. Us men need to um, really stand up and and start doing something about it um, because I think this is this is how this happens. Not enough men talk about it. Yeah, so, so one, of, one of your concerns is that what this does to real victims, correct? Correct. Yeah. Well, that's a great, that's an absolutely, in, that's perfect concern. That is the concern. What does this do to real victims? What matters here is, and is the real victims of the world. The real victims of the world is when there are false accusers, it ruins it for everyone. AJ, women are used to this. When a woman comes forward and says she was raped, the whole world attacks her. You know, that's what it feels right. like. You know, I, when a woman says she's raped, no one, there's always, oh, she's just out for the money. And that's easy. People, no one ever questions, uh, uh, you know, the, the fact that you would attack a woman uh, for rape. But, 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 but I don't know where I'm going. I'm trying to put this into words. I don't know exactly how mm. I'm, I'm getting it wrong. But we're believing victims when we shouldn't, when you do have to question it. You do have to question it. Well, we've talked about this before. Yeah. The pendulum has swung so yeah. far. I mean, it was too far in one direction. Now it's too far in another direction. And now uh, we literally have therapists who are telling uh, abuse, uh, alleged abuse victims that they're actually victimized even when they're saying that they weren't. Uh, and, I mean, AJ, you, you said that this process has been torture for you. Are you glad you did it mm-hmm. or, or not? You know, all the torture, yeah, all the torture has been worth it for one reason only, and that's that, you know, in all this, uh, I didn't know where it was going to lead. I didn't know how it was going to be a learning experience, but I've got a whole new perspective on, you know, when somebody claims sexual abuse, and not just that, mostly it comes down to we need to do a lot of research. We need to do a lot better job in dealing with these cases as a society and as and in education. So, um, but believing every victim mentality is is this proves it's 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 not beneficial um, to real victims because you don't, as, as was pointed out, you only need one fake victim. To discredit all those victims, and that's 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 the troubling part for me. But I'm glad I did it because, for the educational value, it's been really insightful. If uh, Andrew Shubin or Cynthia McNabb ever listened to this uh, podcast and this interview that we just did with you, what do you think their reaction would be? Shock, shock, probably anger. I mean, I understand. I'll understand the anger that comes in my direction because. 
you know, some will sit there and say, well, why'd you do that? You're knocking the credibility of all these real, you know, victims. That's not, that was never on my mind. Uh, you know, it's, it's we got to be able to tell who's a real victim. If, I, if somebody who's a fake victim walks in there myself and you believe they're real, you could incarcerate the wrong person. You could destroy lives, and that can't happen. Like, we got to be able to, to, to know who's telling the truth versus who not. The believe all victims mentality that shows why it can backfire and ruin lives. AJ, when this began— Even though, It's a motivation uh, for believing victims, too. Yeah, everyone becomes yeah. In, everyone yeah. becomes mm-hmm. invested. Mm-hmm. AJ, when we began this uh, part of the process back in in late 2014, I expected that we would find out that this was a load of crap and that this was very easy to fool these people into thinking that someone was a, a victim of Jerry Sandusky. Uh, but in in my perception, this turned out to be even more ridiculous of a process than I expected and it was far easier even than I anticipated even with all the missteps that you've acknowledged uh, having right. uh, having done would you agree that this was this process was way more more corrupted and way easier to fool than either of us ever anticipated I absolutely agree with that in fact I thought that very, very early on, I was like, wow, once once Shivan bought my story, and then once he changed my story, I was like, wow, now you're, like, I haven't known you that long, I mean, and you're sending me, or I mean, and I, and you're sending me to this, this psychologist or whatever, Cynthia McDonald, and then I'm just like, wow, this is so easy, and the more... Like I said, the more I went through the process, I'm like, oh, this is a huge problem. This is, this needs fixed. Like, they are, like I said, I spent three years. So, <laughs> I mean, three years of my life are dedicated to therapy sessions and a lawyer. And, and just, I'm glad I learned it, though. I'm glad. For for society, for myself, for my education, um, I, I'm glad I learned it, even if it was torturous. Well, I'm sure you learned a lot more during this process than you did in school, didn't you? I, I yeah, yeah. I have a I have a degree in rehab and human services, so this was this was up my alley. But yeah, they didn't teach me this stuff in school, and and, and now I'm like, well, we probably should have cameras and audio as a legislative thing in all uh, psychologists, psychiatrists' offices. But they, they they should still follow HIPAA laws, but they should be used by defense attorneys if something like this were to potentially happen again. Well, AJ, um, you know, you and I have uh, had a lot of battles over the years. Uh, I've screamed at you more than I've screamed at my kids or my wife uh, during this time period. Uh, You've driven me crazy uh, numerous times, but I do really appreciate the sacrifice that you've made and you've never wavered. My gosh, you have never wavered in your dedication to this cause and have been more willing to put your your everything on the line than anyone else has. And so you deserve a lot of credit for that. So so great job uh, in, in not giving up, even when everyone else, including myself, uh, was more than willing to give up. And so I do really appreciate that. And you you have created a remarkable record of what really did happen here. Well, thank you, John. And, you know, as you said early on, 
I guess we, you know, you're not friends with with John Ziegler unless you know you've had a few battles and made it across the <laughs> the river, so to speak. You know, uh, but you're a good person, you know, uh, and your research is impeccable. Um, in that regard, that's one thing I do respect about you. Your research is is top notch, um, and you don't give up yourself. Well, I I do have to say that. Um your ability to withstand my blowups is probably better than almost anyone else's I've encountered. Uh, but it, it actually is, is probably facilitated more blowups in your direction. Cause I know you can take it, but, but you do drive me crazy, <laughs> AJ. You do, you drive me absolutely nuts. Uh, but I, I understand you know, why, and I appreciate everything that you've done and, and you deserve a heck of a lot of credit. You uh, do AJ. Thanks for that work. Liz, anything else you want to ask? I I would just say when I listen to everything you guys have done and I I watch you break it apart that I don't know, you put it this way, that that it was easy to fool them. I I don't know if you you fooled them. They easily accepted it because they want to fool themselves into believing that money is more important than people. And I mean that on every single level of this story. So That's a better way of putting it, Liz. I I agree. I agree. They they want that's exactly what what pretty much happened there and how things progressed. Sorry. Yeah, no, you don't be sorry. It's really is a lot it's you really put yourself at risk in, in doing this. So, thanks for your work. AJ, you're uh, welcome. Uh, well done. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again sometime soon and uh thanks again for for all you've done all your time. Absolutely. Thanks, John, and thanks for your patience with me. Oh, I deserve a lot of thanks. <laughs> you do. You do. All right. All right. Take care, AJ. Bye-bye. Bye. John, it's just, it is really incredible what he was able to do and get the amount of time that he spent on everything. <laughs> yeah. His commitment, as I mentioned there, has been utterly extraordinary. Uh, it's been difficult to deal with. I mean, we, he and I have gone through this traumatic experience together. I probably have at least 2,000 messages on my text from texting and Facebook from him over the last uh, five or six years. Uh, we've had hours and hours of phone conversations. It, it oftentimes gets contentious because, you know, clearly <laughs> AJ looks at the world differently than, than most people. I clearly look at the world differently yeah, than most people. Yeah, there's some similarity <laughs> between you guys, like well, it or not. I mean, okay. anyone who would... Well, He's so dogged on something like this for what? I mean, you're the journalist. What's his motivation? He, he knew the guy. He, knows, he, knows he knew that there was an injustice mm-hmm. and that he knew that he was in a unique position to try to correct it, which is similar to to my situation. Um, but he, uh, you know, he, he pulled this off, unfortunately, at least to this moment, there hasn't been any payoff. No well, one knows. Because, well, we... Let's be clear, we've been holding this back for the right opportunity. We thought Newsweek was going to be that opportunity, and then that blew up. And so now this podcast has come along, so now this is the the chance to tell this full story. And to me, even if we didn't have the mountain of other evidence that we've already gone through, this would at the very least cause people to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, this is the key 
lawyer and the key therapist being easily duped by an obviously fake accuser with a ridiculous story with no vetting that where he, he gave them multiple opportunities to realize that he was a fake accuser and they didn't have any clue about it. They then then they recommended him to the state attorney general's office for a criminal complaint. Uh, and so. Uh, to me, this ought to, and, and by the way, the great mistake we made, although it was probably fatal anyway, because Bob Rowe lost his job and therefore we didn't have a champion within Newsweek. And I urged this, and we'll get into this in later episodes, but the big mistake we made with Newsweek was we bit off way too much. We should have focused the Newsweek piece on just the settlement documents and the fake accuser story. That, that, that should have been all we did. And I urged Ralph Cipriano, and I believe I did the same with Bob Rowe. Uh, Ralph was the co-writer on this and the person who was initially commissioned by Newsweek to do the story. I, I said, we've got to narrow this because we're, 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 we're asking them to take down Moby Dick. And, I mean, we should, we should just we should try to shrink the size of the fish here. And if we had done this just on the settlements, which was our last episode and this episode, I think we would have had a better shot at it because it's so obvious that it's ridiculous and it would have opened people's minds to the larger picture. Because if you would it have, would it, will this open people's minds to the larger picture? I mean, yeah, I think it opens my mind certainly in a, this to, to, okay, all the victims outside of the trial victims mm-hmm. are questionable, right? Because, Penn State just wrote checks instead of really. But of course, it. obviously, but they the, were a big part of the settlements too. I mean, they, they got huge amounts of money. The trial victims did so, and we we know from the settlements that at least two of those accusers, number three and number five, totally changed their stories to get money. One of those was a Shubin client, victim number three, Jason Simsesco. So, and it's all connected. And that was really part of the problem was that that Bob Rowe and and Ralph Cipriano, in my recollection. They wanted to go for the whole thing because they felt like, well, where do you stop? And well, it is a where do you stop? Yeah, you know, I mean, because it, it is all connected. And you could have started chipping at it, and you still are chipping at it. You could have started chipping at it. Well, we made a mistake, and 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 unfortunately, as it happened, know if you did. well, it's happened many times in this case. It's almost like we're cursed, where every opportunity we have to make some headway, uh, fate steps in uh, in this perfect storm and and blows it up. But Hopefully now people understand the the full significance of the fake accuser story. One person who does not, and this was so classic. So w- when the Newsweek thing blew up, I put out my version or Ralph and I's version of what the Newsweek story was going to be. I put it on our website, which at that time was FramingPaterno.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that was that revealed the existence of this fake accuser. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a ton of stuff in there that's new information with documentation. But we held we held back AJ's name and we held back the the audio clips and, and, you know, held it back 90 percent of the story. But we we put in there that, yes, there's this fake accuser. And basically, here's what happened. And and what does Scott Paterno take away from this? This is so classic. Scott Paterno, his only takeaway from the fake accuser story. And he said this publicly on Twitter. His takeaway was, boy, that fake accuser has got a problem because he stole money from Penn State via the insurance company that paid for his therapy. 
That uh, was that was Oh my goodness. That was Scott Paterno's takeaway. He was concerned uh, quote unquote he was concerned trolling over the fact that the fake accuser had committed insurance fraud. Well, okay, I said you guys didn't cr- commit any crime. I mean, does that is that I mean, it's an interesting point. Okay, that's a separate story. Liz, I get it. I Liz, know, I get it. Liz, Liz. But, Look, no, this no, is so Liz, backward, this story, Liz, John. All Liz, right, can I Liz, take you back to one thing Liz, I really realized? No, I can't. I cannot let you get away with that. that I can't, good, John, because is. every everything about this story is weird like this. Okay. Watch it happen. But, Watch it happen. No, but but Liz, the idea, <laughs> the idea, the idea that that's Scott Paterno's takeaway. Uh, that part is just uh, like uh, made uh, me roll my eyes. Okay. Believe me. Uh, and then the next thing that came up after I rolled my eyes, I went, oh, my God. You could, you're going to get in trouble for this. Get in trouble for this. No, bring it on. Uh, you know, that, John, that's, um, that's fine. But the, but the, here's the important part. Scott is so invested in his narrative. That I get here, the important that, part. That here he, here he has evidence that, and let's be clear, if Andrew Shubin got duped by this fake accuser, then why couldn't he have been duped by the three trial accusers plus Alan Myers, the Mike McQuarrie, quote-unquote, victim who didn't testify at trial but got paid $6.9 million by Penn State? And that's the whole case against Joe Paterno. Yet Scott doesn't see it that way because he doesn't want to see no, it know, that way. I know, but the other thing and that is just so, so clear is why, why did Penn State not allow a civil case to go forward? You could defend a civil case because of the publicity. They they didn't they wanted the, the publicity. Bad. They didn't want to ever look at this and say maybe none of this is real. There were clearly people. We've talked to many of them that had it gone and had it gone to court with a good attorney in a civil case, maybe it would have been revealed. But but Liz, the people making the decisions are as invested as Scott Paterno because they're the ones that fired Joe Paterno and fired Graham Spanier and destroyed the university and had all the football program almost destroyed right, by, the, me, by the NCAA. Forgive me. Forgive me. I, I'm just. I'm not that complicated, right? Okay. I'm a simple person. Well, the, I keep thinking of the right in front of no, me, and then no, you, you no, build me the big picture. No, and I'm the like, big yeah, picture that's, is that's right. the people that are in that's charge, right. like Scott, right. Ira Lupert, the the board itself. They're deeply, deeply invested in not having been wrong because if they're wrong on this, if they put all their chips down on the wrong side here, they are damned for all time. And so like Cynthia McNabb, who can't even comprehend the idea that she might have manipulated uh, someone into, into thinking they were a victim when they weren't, no one is even considering that possibility. And so Scott Paterno looks at this story and goes, wow, that, that looks like insurance fraud. When, when, Look, I, I forgot when, myself for a moment, right. what I'm dealing in, I, okay? I, I, I forgot okay. myself for so, a moment. So anyway, the, so, but the, the, the essence of the A.J. Dillon story is that one guy uh, had the guts and the perseverance to expose the corruption in the system. I don't know. When I say corruption, I still to this day don't know to what level these people knew they were engaging in corruption. I'm a big believer. I'm an anti-conspiracy person. I'm a big believer in people pursuing their own self-interest. I'm a big believer in people convincing themselves of a truth that they want to believe because it's in their in their, their own self-interest to believe it like McNabb like Shubin I mean at times Shubin sounds like a guy who really believes Jerry Sandusky is guilty and therefore and this is my belief about Shubin I just think he believes 
that the ends justify the means. I he, think that he's, he's, we get that – we started in that on that right. block with the prosecutors. Right, right. The ends justify the means. Mm-hmm. We have a conclusion that Jerry Sandusky is a pedophile, that these victims were abused. They deserve justice. It doesn't matter what I have to do to get that justice because I'm on the side of right. So if I have to lie, if I have to tell these victims what the right story is so they'll get the most money – that doesn't matter because I'm fighting the man. That's what Shubin th- I, I and I think AJ agrees with this. Shubin believes this to a certain degree. Now he's got some suspicions about it, uh, which is why you know he's worried about me and warning AJ and his and his mom about me and that kind of thing. But by and large, I think he probably believes that at least some of this is real. And McNabb believes that everybody's abused who says that they're abused because that's the way therapists are trained so so anyway i I hope people um you know fully uh absorb the the magnitude of the aj dylan uh sting story it's been the result of an enormous amount of work on his part uh, an enormous amount of aggravation on my part uh and i i let this thing happen almost entirely organically one because i was a little concerned about okay what's the legality of this but most importantly i was concerned about making sure that this was as natural as it could be i didn't want uh you know other than a couple things like getting jerry sandusky to write a letter with then which aj then blew in front of andrew shubin i mean how shubin how to me when i'm hearing that shubin clip i can hear shubin going wait a minute you don't know whether or not you got this letter from Jerry recently. I mean, he's in prison, obviously. Um, but I, I tried very hard to not manipulate the process uh, because I wanted it to be as natural and organic as possible because uh, I wanted to see what would happen. And, and, and you, I think you made this point. In a weird way, it actually worked out in some situations because the system was so broken that even as badly as AJ did at times, they still didn't catch him. And and the letter is actually a pretty well, good not, example. They, no one does this in a vacuum. They, no one does this alone. They, you know, Shubin has to send it to this, has to send it to that, and then it's sent to Penn State, and Penn State writes the check. Everybody does it together. There's the next person in line who can raise suspicion, but it never happens. Well, everyone thinks everyone else is doing the vetting. Like you keep uh, saying, yeah. keep doing the vetting. Or, or it's just they have a vested interest in keeping it quiet. Just look, they it's more important just that we get this out of here. And bottom line on AJ, if this story was real, if these people were credible, if they were reliable, if they were trustworthy, if this system worked, AJ would have been found out on day one. Instead, he wasn't even found out when he tried to abort three years later. Okay, that to me is the most important takeaway of this. If the story we were told was real, A.J. would not have gotten out of the batter's box. And instead, if he wanted to, he would have hit a home run. Instead, we bailed on it for the reasons already given. And any true victim, any real true victim, I know it's hard to tell a story, but they know their stories. They'll tell their stories. You know, people are going to say we're hurting real victims. We're not hurting real victims. AJ's very concerned about real victims. We're, we're that's, helping real that, victims. That's his major mm-hmm. motivation here. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, I, I, I hope people uh, understand and appreciate the magnitude of AJ's story because it truly is unique, and I do think it, it is the final nail in the coffin of the conventional wisdom of this case.